You understand the meaning of the word foreboding? As in badness is happening right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Far too kind. Oh, you guys are a hell of a duet here. Why'd you start harmonizing? Can I get an encore? Do you want more? Cook and roll with the Brooklyn boys. So for one last time, I need you. Because love says live for over 100 years. Now what the hell are you waiting for? For me, there should be no more. So for one last time, make some noise. That's for John Lennon, you Yankee fucking cunt. From the creators of Ice Age. Who are you people? We are the Leafmen. Protectors of the forest. And real. I'm going to destroy the forest, but I'm only going to do it once, so try to pay attention. What was that thing? What, you've never seen a bargain? Someone had a happy childhood. This summer. I'm not from this world. Come on, you're with us now. Colin Farrell. Yeah, you're running out of branch there, buddy. I told you, I got this all worked out. Josh Hutcherson. What happened? You got shrunk? Yes! Seriously? It's been a weird day for everybody. Amanda Seyfried. This whole bird riding thing's new to me. Ow! Christoph Waltz. You just can't stop the rod. Ugly says what? What? Uh, hello, and uh, welcome to Above the Title, the podcast about the state of the 21st century movie star and the career of Colin Farrell. I'm Cole. I'm Connor. I'm also very tired. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here today. Connor, I got a question for you. Right What's out the up? gate. What's yeah. going to be longer? The amount of time we're going to spend recording this episode or the amount of time Beyonce spent recording her lines oh, man. for this movie? She, I mean, clearly she only did a day, right? Oh, yeah. Easy, yeah. easy. In afternoon. I yeah. mean, even like... Didn't Chris Rock once say that, like, he did Madagascar in, like, two days? Ooh, I don't know. Uh, and but... he talks a lot in those. She is, like, such an in-and-out presence in this They line. had to tell Chris Rock to stop. They were was like, probably stop going, man. We finished the movie. Yeah. <laughs> you recorded everything we needed from you. It's It doesn't, <laughs> I don't know, nothing, very little in this movie works. And her, yeah, yeah, you yeah, yeah. think, yeah, to, to get that out of the gate, you fucking think this is a mess. We might have to start over. All right, no, we don't. <laughs> no, we're, we're 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 boldly moving forward. Cole, what is the the title of the movie we were talking about this week? Uh, today we are talking about the 2013 uh, Chris Wedge animated feature, uh, Epic. Yeah. And uh, Beyonce plays the like. Does she have a character name other than the Queen, Queen Tara? Queen Tara. Hmm. Um, yeah. She's essentially like Mother Nature, I guess. I guess. Think about it that way. And yeah, uh, don't ask me to think about the logistics of this movie, though. I do have one big question about the logistics of this movie. Um, <laughs> But the logistics of this movie do not make any sense. Some, there are some temporal elements to this film that that throw me off balance. I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I guess what I'm getting at is like Colin Farrell is in this movie. He's using he his regular he's Irish. He's the lead. He, he's the he's he's like a pseudo lead of the film. Uh, he's he's top build. 
He's top build, but in in the narrative structure of the film, he's like yeah, the he pseudo and, lead. Yeah. yeah, Seyfried's probably the actual lead, but Seyfried and I, I think even uh, Hutchinson is probably more of a lead than Farrell's <laughs> character ends up. I've had to watch bad Josh Hutcherson children's movies on consecutive days, <laughs> and is like someone who bought stock in Josh Hutcherson early. Like it just has been a really rough stretch the past 24 hours for me. You know, I'll, I'll just go out on a limb here and say, I don't think I prepared for this one maybe as much as I probably should have to, for us to <laughs> achieve like the most entertaining um, <laughs> nope. podcast imaginable. Nope. Uh, my relationship to Hutcherson essentially like ends with the second Hunger Games movie. And then I, I just, crazy. I don't think I've seen, I don't think, oh, I guess he's in The Disaster Artist. He is in The Disaster yeah. Artist. He's good in The Disaster Artist. Yeah, that is I'll true. have you know. Uh, you haven't seen Tragedy Girls is what you're telling me. I have not. No. Really fucking good in Tragedy Girls, man. That movie rules. He's also like actually good in Five Nights at Freddy's. A borderline unwatchable like travesty that has been like inflicted upon the american people and um, everybody in the world has seen it yeah <laughs> Apparently. Man. man except for me um but i mean here's here's the thing about hutcherson you like you say you you got off on the hunger games train well i what like, i'm i'm saying is i, I like i remember being a little kid and he's in um the jumanji sequel thing and rv that it's called uh, zathura robin williams movie he's um, an rv and then the kids are all right right that's he's the the son in that one and then there we fucking go baby <laughs> he's so fucking good that might he be is. my mm, ruffalo gives the best performance and the kids are all right but oh Hutcherson are you trying to is... say that Hutcherson? were you about to say that Hutcherson was your favorite performance of that movie Maybe, but then I was like, no, Ruffalo. That because that okay, that would be a wild take. Can I can I give you a really wild take? What that might be my favorite Ruffalo performance. I don't know if it's that wild. I just think there are other movies that are more like generally well respected than the kids are all right. A movie I love, uh, to be clear. Um, and I feel like that just people are going to be inclined to go with your Zodiacs or your ins the cuts or your Margarets or your use who can count on me. Um, I just think he's so funny and the kids are all right. He is. Um, um, no, I agree with you. I yeah. think that might be his best performance. I, I think uh, it's a terrific performance. So I don't think that's a hot take. Well, uh, thank you. I appreciate <laughs> it. Can I give you another hot take? I, I may agree with your next hot take. I, I think I Annette Benning like... is bad and the kids are all right okay yeah you're on the same page yeah i'm on the same i love it when we do this right i love it when we could just like walk in because like, i was just about to say that so when you were okay, like good, i'm gonna good. give you another one i, I kind of um, knew where you were heading with it have you seen detention the joseph Kahn movie um i i don't believe so that is a lot of movie uh famously yeah. um hutcherson is like Hutcherson like weirdly decides to play that like it's a real performance in a movie that is not asking anyone to play as a real performance uh, because the movie is so bananas and like maximalist um, in a way that I think just makes everything funnier. 
uh, about what he's doing in that in that movie. Um, that movie is a lot of movie. Um, but yeah, his career does kind of peter off out of you know he was well, almost. I've Spider-Man, never right? seen. I've never seen the final two Hunger Games movies. Yeah, well, neither. I guess the the final three now that a new oh, one yeah. is coming out. Um, and I basically I've seen the Disaster Artist, and I I, I think that may be it. Everything really tragedy girls. What I was gonna say is that now. he's mostly a TV actor post Hunger Games. Oh, really? Um, okay. yeah, he starred in a fucking Hulu show that ran for three seasons. Um, oh. he fucking dubs like the newest version of Ultraman in english but yeah he's mostly that and then occasionally he'll pop up and do like a a dtv action movie uh god bless him um i think here's what i think it is i think i think three things happen to him four things because the first one is always it's always hard for child stars to like crack into adulthood even if they're talented always hard for child stars especially this is an unfair comparison but at least (laughs) This is also just a very simplistic and mean thing to say in totality, but I think there is something there. At least Daniel Radcliffe is hairy. So he does look like a fully grown man because he's hairy. Yes. As an adult. And Hutcherson would never really grew out of what you remembered him looking like as like a 13 year old. Daniel Radcliffe also did two things that I think are very smart and it's why he works. Um, the first is that, like, okay, it is a very common, like, saw that child or teen stars who are women will, like, try to do something, like, really sexual and aggressive and dark when they're, like, moving into adulthood to try like, to, like, shatter that image. Like, Elizabeth 19, Berkley. 20, 21. Yeah. When they yeah, hit like, that age range. Right? Yeah. Like, like yeah. Elizabeth Berkeley and Showgirls is the the, the big famous example, right? Like, or a the lot Spring of. Spring Breaker Girls. The Spring Breaker Girls did it, yeah. too. A lot of women will try to do that to try to, like, shatter the image of them as, like, a little girl. And usually it just invites a lot of mockery because misogynistic culture. Mockery and I think. Unfortunately, they I think a, a lot of the times they do that as a career decision to kind of shelve um, the baggage of what their career had been in the past. Yes. But instead, they kind of burden that past baggage with very uncomfortable discussion between men who are do not have their heads screwed on straight. Yes. <laughs> to put it as subtle. Radcliffe. Yeah. Radcliffe is like the only male child star to have like seriously tried to do that too. Yeah. Because if you yeah. don't remember, he does Equus in London when he's old enough to do it legally in London. Yeah. And then on Broadway when he turns 18. Um, and he is he, he's full frontal in Equus. So Radcliffe does that, but I think he also, I mean, as you're alluding to, yeah. in, invests very heavily in his stage career in yes. addition to his, his yes. own career. But yeah. but I think that move of being like I'm fucking I'm fucking sexy now, like is treated with more respect if a guy's doing it because it's so unexpected than if a girl's doing it. 
think the theater I, I, thing is also I agree right. with you, but I think yeah. it's a combination of the two. Well, no, it's I, a combination of multiple more, things. Yeah, yes. but I think women would be more successful in doing said thing if it was on the stage, like like what he did on the stage. The, but what I was trying to say was more along the lines of like that Hutcherson is a short yeah. man yes. that has childlike features and Radcliffe also never yes. grew beyond the stature of what we had known him to be when he was like 12, 13. Well, but Radcliffe also very smartly doesn't do lead roles. Yeah. And he develops a lot of those projects himself too, but he very smartly is like cast himself as a character actor um, in a way that I think lets him dodge a lot of the expectations of getting past Harry Potter. But I think, okay, here's what killed we Josh We will Hutchinson's talk about career. it more. <laughs> here's what killed Josh Hutcherson's career. The first is that Normally, doing a superhero movie is bad for your career because you can't escape the shadow of that. The is one he, person is he a superhero? No, oh. but you know who did manage to like springboard off a superhero movie into like being taken seriously as a real actor is Andrew Garfield. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you know this, but Josh Hutcherson was the other guy they were thinking of, and Hutcherson does Hunger Games instead, which. Those movies have a longer cultural tale, but who gets all the juice off Hunger Games? It's all Jennifer Lawrence. No yeah. one cares about the guys in the Hunger Game movies. Same thing happens to Liam Hemsworth, right? Like, yeah. you're bricked up there. Secondly, and this is just me glancing at his filmography, um, we mentioned the disaster artist. I truly think he tried to, tried to jump on the James Franco train at like the last possible the second you could and that i think fucked him. yeah yeah because he's in a couple james franco movies right at the end there he's in one that like still isn't coming out um so just like a couple of just like career decisions that looked good at the time but uh just did not pay off well josh hutcherson so is in bad this... in the film epic yeah. In the film Epic, it's obviously it's a voice role. The yeah. Epic is an animated film for those of you who don't know. It's a dumb um, cartoon for babies. I don't know why I had assumed that he had done more voiceover work. I, I mean, I know that he has done other voiceover work. This isn't the only thing, but yes. for some reason, like I, I this is also kind of a sin to most people, but I've never seen the How to Train Your Dragon movies. Like I figured for sure. some reason that he had been a voice of one of those characters in those films. He very well, well could not. have been. Yeah. I feel like this degree of like star-driven animated movie voice cast kind of like died off. Yeah. Um, and this is one of the last real gasps of it. Whereas like obviously people still cast big names in animated movies, but I think of a movie like Inside Out, which is two years after this, which has a big name cast, but they are just comedians, right? Like there's no like serious actors in Inside Out. That's not an insult. That feels like that's more the mark where like even a movie like the, the Super Mario Brothers movie from this year, which obviously is this big star studded cast that's been heavily criticized. They're all... You know, even Chris Pratt started out as a comedian. Charlie Day is a comedian. Jack Black is a comedian. Seth Rogen is a comedian, right? Like they don't cast fucking who's even a good example of like a Josh Hutcherson or a Colin Farrell or a Amanda Seyfried who could have been in 
Who could have been in Mario? Who could have been in Mario? Like, who's the equivalent person now to where oh, all I... those people are in their careers? It's, um, it's Tom Holland. To say... You know what? Fuck it. Tom Holland. Yeah. Tom Holland is not doing animated movies. And I'm going to go double check that because it he did seems one. like... He did the Pixar movie with Chris Pratt a few years ago. He did. You're um, right. You're yeah. right. That doesn't exist. That's what it was. Um, but Tom Holland's not going to be. Well, in a it's movie like you're like saying Mario. it's it's I, I you know it's it's hard. I, this film epic wasn't necessarily a success. Nope. In the time when it came out, either. So it is hard to equate it as like this is what the industry was at the time. But the industry was much more, at least for animated films, was much more along the lines of what you see here as opposed to the the you know the Spider Verse movies. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Puss in Boots that are coming out now, or it seems like the animated industry is being given that shock of extra juice that it was missing for so long. There's a lot more of yeah. varied creativity going on. And even if you're looking at the Spider-Verse movies in which the cast are not comedians, they are still character actors who are being well, cast dude, that's, for yeah. specific skills that they can do with their, with their voice delivery. So this movie is by Blue Sky, the company yeah. Blue Sky, and in kind of a complicated fashion, but it is, it is a production of the now defunct animation studio Blue Sky. Um, Best known and, for Ice Age. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Blue Sky, along with Pixar, but Pixar kind of stumbles into it accidentally ass backwards. Blue Sky are the company who like put their foot down and make their name along with DreamWorks at the exact same time of like, we cast A-listers in animated movies. Uh, and if you want to say Hanks in uh, Toy Story, famously, in between Tom Hanks recording all the voice parts for Toy Story and Toy Story coming out, Tom Hanks wins both of his Oscars. Um, yeah. That's how long the lead time on Toy Story was. They cast, when they cast, Toy Story, they cast two like B list comedians, and then yeah. one of them, be and then both of them got really, really famous in in the actual production. Process. And one of the and one of them becomes like the most beloved American actor of the of the period. And like, the other one is famously normal. Um, <laughs> but but Blue Sky and DreamWorks in the early two thousands really like put their fucking like money on we cast A listers. Uh, in animated movies, functionally playing their celebrity persona as the character, right? Like we design yeah. the Ice Age characters are all designed around the stars of Ice Age. The Shrek characters are all designed around the stars of Shrek, right? Um, whereas like if you cast famous people in Disney movies in the 90s, which Disney is casting non-voice actors in those Disney Renaissance movies, but they are casting character actors to fit the character as yeah. much as they're building around right like they're, obviously they're, Robin Williams, uh, they're but... casting um don rickles and kevin klein uh, in kevin fucking klein, kevin yeah. klein um matthew broderick um james woods right like they're oh, casting yeah. a angela lansbury and when i think of a movie like spider-verse because the spider-verse movies have great casts right like extraordinary voice cast but they aren't Phenomenal. famous they're 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 casting them like they'd cast an actual real life superhero movie if they made that movie in live action yeah. right that's what's well, so i'm smart. thinking i'm thinking even like the mahershala ali inclusion in the yes. spider-verse 
films, which he's not, he doesn't appear a lot in those movies, yeah. but he's still being asked to give a performance along the lines of what of Marshall Ali Marshall. would be asked to, to do on screen. Yeah. They introduce a like Shea Wiggum type in Spider-Verse 2. And so they go and they get Shea Wiggum to play the Shea Wiggum type, right? Yeah. They don't fucking cast generic TV star to play the Shea Wiggum type. They they don't get ham to play the Shea Wiggum type. You know what I'm saying? They they actually yeah. go and get the guy they would cast if it was a live action movie. I think if you want to like even take the praise further, like if you look at Shamik Moore's career leading up to it, he he clearly has a lot of charisma. And I think filmmakers found it difficult understanding how to use him in live action stuff because he yes. has so much charisma. And uh the 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 Spider-Verse filmmakers were able to to really utilize that and like funnel it into this great voice acting work that he's been doing in those yeah. films. God, that third one's never coming out. <laughs> it's gonna take a while. It's gonna well, take... you know, if you want to go, if you want to take a step beyond in that comparison of where we are now. And again, it's not just Spider-Verse because there are a lot of other animated properties that are coming, maybe not Mario Brothers, but you can look at other animated films that are still done digitally, but they're kind of these artists are experimenting with how far they can push the the digital animation work into different aesthetic areas. I am personally very excited for Wish, even though it has the stupidest premise in the history of animated movies, because I think the watercolor stuff looks cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I think it looks interesting and as as a famous hater of CGI animation, um, people like picking up the Spider Verse baton and like trying to do something interesting with CGI animated movies on just like an aesthetic level is something that is like a fucking oasis in the desert for this guy right here. Anyway, uh, this movie has a stacked cast, um, yeah. a real like moment in time stacked cast. Uh, I, I recited it on last week's episode because I fucking looked it up and it blew my mind. But um, let me just fucking run through this again. Holy shit, Rosa Salazar's in this? I do not remember. Okay, so the the three people on like at the end of the list, I do not yeah. remember them in this. The, I don't know. They who might that have been cut. Is. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe but they're just like generic people. Who, I paid like, attention. Have, I paid attention to the credits and they're in the credits. Okay. Maybe it's, yeah. maybe they're referring, Rosa Salazar is credited here as roller derby girl. Maybe like in one of the action scenes, like one of the fucking pine cones behaves like in a fashion that like resembles roller derby. And that's what they're alluding to. I guess. Maybe. I don't fucking Kyle Kinane is credited as biker dude. Yeah. God uh, bless Kyle Kinane. Good for you, man. Good paycheck, I'm assuming. Oh, damn. He's in the new Aqua Teen Hunger Force movie. I gotta see the fucking new Aqua Teen Hunger Force movie. Um, You like Aqua Teen Hunger Force? Haven't delved in yet. Probably missed it. Probably. Uh, you know who was on Aqua Teen Hunger Force? No. Uh, Todd Fields. Oh, really? The director of Tar. He played a sentient piece of mold in an early what? episode of Aquatine Hunger Force. Played old Drippy. <laughs> that doesn't make fucking... that's not sitting with me well, but sure. <laughs> that show fucking rules. <laughs> okay, today we are here to talk about 
like I said, the 2013 uh, Chris Wedge Blue Sky production epic. What a bad title, man. Yeah. Um, not only is the Changed title epic from a pretty good a title, decent, I would say. a decent yeah. title that sounds a little too Arthur and the Invisible Z. Um, yes, it is based on the children's book, The Leaf Men and the Brave Good Bugs, which is by William Joyce. William Joyce also wrote the book uh, that Meet the Robinsons was based on and has a long career as an animator, uh, both on his own half. He has an Oscar for Best Animated Shorts, and he was an early Pixar guy. But if you're looking at this and Meet the Robinsons in conjunction, it's kind yeah. of like Did the you... author of work that had been yeah. yes. butchered by the studio system. Yes. Yeah. Did you know that this was... Um, at one point going to be a Pixar movie. I did. Yeah. Yeah. So let, let me actually break this down as, as far as I can understand here. Um, so Chris Wedge, who directed this movie is like the big blue sky guy, right? He like, he, he directed ice age. He was there. He's their John Lasseter in a way. Um, if no, that's what you want to call him in terms of his like importance to the company blue sky. Yeah. I know um, Lasseter too is kind of like, yes, of um, course. A, a, a bad yeah. person. Um, yeah. William Joyce worked on robots, which is, even though William Joyce is a Pixar guy, he worked on robots, which is Chris Wedge's follow-up to Ice Age. Um, so he basically pitched um, this movie to Chris Wedge when he was writing the book. Because Wedge is his friend. And that's why it went to Blue Sky instead of Pixar. But Fox, who had a hardline distribution deal with Blue Sky, um, had no interest in making this movie until Wedge and Joyce are like, fine, can we put it into turnaround? Fox says they could put it into turnaround. They try to take it to Pixar, and at that point, Fox is like, you're not giving this to Pixar. This is a Pixar killer. Um, and that's literally the only reason this movie gets made is so Pixar can't make it, basically. Which is always a bad reason to make a movie. Always a great reason <laughs> to make a movie. Always works um, out for everybody involved. Yeah. yeah. Man, Blue Sky, man, just a, 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 a company with a lot of like heartbreak going on behind the scenes there uh well it's you yeah. know animation has always been very resource yes. intense yes so it's a it's it's a difficult segment of the the film and television industry to to just kind of like consider because it's so complicated yes. it's so like in in ways it's very pure because everything has to be created from imagination everything has to be designed and yes. and kind of worked out together as a team but at the same time you're you're always dealing with like bloat because it's always more resource intense than like a small like than the smallest form of independent picture could ever be you kind of get yes, what i mean but by that also yeah like weirdly i think traditionally the best animated movies come from people who have their backs against the wall and I, and yes, the more yeah. they're they're allowed to indulge in that bloat, um, the better it is. And when I say that, I'm saying that like, you know, not only is like when Disney's making the best movies they ever made, which is 
way back in the day. Not only are they constantly like struggling against um, budget cuts consistently and movies that flop and they never have enough money to do what they do. But like, in my humble opinion, there is undeniably one animation studio working in the world today that is like far and away and undeniably the best animation studio working in the world today. And that's Cartoon Saloon, who have probably the least resources available to them of any of the major animation studios in the world today. That's true. Uh, yeah. I love Cartoon Saloon. Cartoon Saloon We're very made... much in agreement today. Yeah, we are. We have the Irish Cartoon Saloon thing. Uh, Listeners, if you don't know Cartoon Saloon, they're the Irish company. They did Secret of the Kells, Song of the Sea, Wolf Walkers. um, And they also did Wonderful uh, Breadwinner. If you remember our Ondine episode about the Selkies. Much better Selkies film for you to watch. I've never seen Song of the Sea, actually. It's a good movie. That's the only one I haven't seen. Brandon Gleeson's in it. I have that box set they put out of the Irish trilogy. Oh yeah. Uh recently that I, I literally haven't taken out of the shrink wrap yet. Uh, but I will watch Song of the Sea one day. But fucking Secret of Kells and Wolfwalkers are like <laughs> staggering masterpieces, and that they lost those Oscars to like two of the worst, like shittiest, most phoned uh, in Pixar movies will always break my heart. I, I'm just giggling to myself because when you watch Secret of Kells, you're just kind of like, this is unbelievable. I can't it's believe that most beautiful this movie ever was made. accomplished. It. Brennan Gleeson also voiced yes. that as yes. well. And then you watch Wolfwalkers and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> I, Did I, you... I cannot I cannot conceive of how they jumped from, from yeah. one to the next. Did you see My Father's Dragon? No, I haven't seen it's, it. Yet. It's not great. It's their weakest movie, but like it just looks stunning. Yeah. And also, like in the middle of that, they made like a serious like heart-wrenching movie about life under the taliban yeah <laughs> that's that's devastating um is that one their best movie the bread i i just think secret of Kells is just such a fucking like as you know fall into the celluloid it's it's extremely difficult to yeah. to qualify um but we to bring it back to what i was scene. saying before yeah. i i think i think to put into simpler terms, what I was trying to get at is like, if you say, hey, I want to make an animated movie, I want to be involved in the making of, an, of an animated movie, you are opting to put a lot of yes, stress on your a shoulders. billion percent. Yeah. There's no yep. ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like, it, it is going to be a, a very difficult, very hard endeavor. And you're constantly going to get, to, going to be matched with, the amount of compromise that like any filmmaker has to make, but which is to reuse the word, I think more bloated in the animated space where like, we have to be able to sell this to people. Yeah. There has to, at some point be a movie that we can sell to people. Yeah. And you simply, you can't do sell animation for no money Yeah, at the end of the day. Like even cartoon saloon having like less resources than everyone else, they still have money. Like, if you're making an animated movie for no even money, that Hanna Barbera stuff from back in the day that where the character money. models don't move, yeah, and just their faces, just their mouths are moving when they yes. speak, those still cost exuberant amounts of money yes. at the time, yeah. Um, like if you try to make a cell animated movie with no money, we're talking about like the thief and the cobbler, yeah. right? Which is 
a movie that never about. got finished. Something that could take 30 years. To could do. take 30 years yeah. and then doesn't get finished because you die. Um, the most heartbreaking production in the history of motion pictures. <laughs> Have you ever seen any version of that, Connor? Um, I've seen the the initial like rough cut of it. Okay, you've seen the, the one that like is assembled on YouTube? Yeah. And stuff, yeah. Just the most beautiful, yeah. beautiful animation of all time oh. well to see an animation like that is is insane. pretty i mean it's dumbfounding like that's yeah the easiest way to put it is you're so i think any adult kind of understands how difficult for any animation I has to be and then think they do actually i think they don't, don't have an so? understanding of like the real like level of craft that goes into those things i mean even those dc direct-to-video yeah. animated movies still cost like from 80 to 150 million dollars oh, yeah. for them to make. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um this movie cost 100 million dollars. Didn't make it back. <laughs> All right, this is epic. Uh epic stars just to reiterate here. Colin Farrell, Josh Hutcherson, Amanda Seyfried, Christoph Waltz, Aziz Welcome Ansari, back. Chris O'Dowd, Pitbull, Jason Sudeikis, Steven Welcome Tyler. Back. What? I'm just saying welcome back to, to who? Christoph Waltz. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Stephen Tyler, Beyonce, Blake Anderson, Judah Friedlander, uh, Frank Welker. Good for Frank Welker. Uh, Frank Welker, quietly one of the highest grossing actors of all time. Um, <laughs> Frank Welker does every animal voice yeah. in movies and TV. Um. He has. Hey, he man, does. If you've got it. If you've got he, it, you know. He he does non-animal voices too as a voice actor, but he basically does every single animal voice. I think he's retired now. Um, he is the third highest-grossing actor of all time. Uh, or he was. It's dropped now. Yeah, he's dropped. No, he is third. He is third. Stanley's the highest. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson is the second highest and Frank Welker is the third highest grossing actor of all time um, if you add up the wow. box office total of everything they've ever been yeah, Saldana's got to be up there right She's Saldana the is 10. number 7 yeah here's here's the top 10 okay Andy Serkis Bob Downey Scar Joe Zoe Saldana Chris Pratt Bob Bergen who's a Warner Brothers voice actor. Um, a lot of like voices the army men in fucking Toy Story. He's like that <laughs> level. He's he's one of those guys. Yeah. Um, John Ratzenberger, King of the Residuals. John Ratzenberger. Uh Frank Welker, Sam Jackson Stanley. John Ratzenberger is in every episode of Cheers, every Pixar movie, and the Empire Strikes Back. He is the king of residuals. What a life, man. What a life. I think he's an asshole, too. Um, oh, that sucks. Yeah, let us go to this political views. Where's the name Donald <laughs> Trump here? Uh, okay. Yep. Ooh. I didn't know anything about him like Ooh, that. Yep. yep, yep I don't yep, think yep, I knew yep. anything about him at all other than just he's that a, he's been he's in a, all He's a movies. Trump guy. Oh, but man. he's not an anti-COVID guy, so there's a win. Okay. Um, other actors on the highest grossing actor of all time list, Ben Cumberbatch, Alan Tudyk, Warwick Davis, Vin Diesel, and John Favreau. Okay, I just wanted to get to Favs there. Um, we should do a John Favreau podcast, man. It'd be fun. It be a could fun be. One. It could Connor, be a little bit of fun. You want to tell the people what Epic's about? 
Uh, yeah, wait, I wrote down the um, opening of the film here. It says, <laughs> this, is how, this is how the motion picture epic begins. You hear some voiceover. And the voiceover goes a little something like this. Somebody told me once that if you stand still in the forest long enough, you'll see signs of a hidden struggle raging between forces of life and decay. That the survival of the forest itself depends on the on the outcome and that the good guys need all the help that they can get. And if you don't believe it, take a closer look. And if you still don't look closer, this is a movie epic. Is that actually how it starts? That's the beginning monologue. That's the Amanda Seyfried okay. voiceover. That begins sure. The movie. Wow. Yeah. I watched this movie three hours ago. <laughs> I, I only took like specific note of that because not nearly the first movie to have ever start to ever start with a voiceover. But when said voiceover starts with somebody told me once that if you stand still in the forest long enough and then there's a pause, I, my brain starts thinking like, OK, I'm going to get some philosophical reading about how like you'll just take in more of the the energy that like binds, the, you know, maybe some of the force mumbo jumbo yeah. from yeah. um the the last jedi something like that and then it just <laughs> jumps straight into you'll see signs of a hidden struggle raging between forces of life and decay and my brain immediately just was like i i can't i don't think i can watch this movie right now <laughs> i don't yeah, understand I'm, what I'm we're done. doing here yeah <laughs> okay so um can yeah, we just like is an adaptation of yeah. uh joyce's book which i haven't read um probably but essentially good. There are good guys. Said good guys are the Leafmen and other critters and miniature creatures of the forest. Um, they, I don't even know what they do necessarily, but they're also bad guys. Voiced by Christoph Walken, who Christoph are, Walken. I mean, <laughs> wow. wow, wow, wow. That's Christoph a good Walken. Connor. Connor. Yeah. Connor. Mentally lock that in. That Christoph is a good Walken. Halloween costume. <laughs> Is it which which ones would you combine together? You dress like Christoph. You dress like fucking Christoph Waltz in Django Unchained. And That's what I was going to say. The walking voice. You dress as Chris. You you dress as Waltz in, in Django. Django. I'm looking for Django. <laughs> you do the walking voice, but you're also wearing the Russian roulette like samurai <laughs> outfit that he's wearing at the end of the Deer Hunter. But you need the giant gray beard and mustache. You need the giant gray beard from Django. You need the giant gray beard from Django. <laughs> and the and dentist the, part. The bloody the headband. Tooth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From, yeah. And, you're Chris, and you're Christoph Walken. <laughs> the most confusing Halloween costume anybody has ever conceived. Um, yeah, there are forces of decay, as they say. Uh, mainly m- this guy Mandrake, voiced by Christoph Waltz. I have no idea what he is supposed to be. Is he supposed to be a root? I don't know. Because his name is Mandrake. They call them Boggins. They look, they call them Boggins and they look like sharks. Like they have the faces of sharks. Everyone to clarify, and then I will let you talk. All the forest, the good forest critters are all explicitly plants or small animals. Or tiny men. (laughs) But the, I think the tiny men tiny are supposed to humanoid be like sentient le- leaves. I think the implications are sentient to get into this. leaves because I everyone else this. is like yeah. a sentient blade of grass or like a sentient acorn or a sentient slug. Like I think they're supposed to be sentient leaves. 
I, I wanted to get into this because I haven't read the book, but I did look up art from Joyce's book, which is a a, a, a picture book for children. Yes. And the leaf men are explicitly designed to look like sentient leaves cool. in the book. So it's a strange move to just make them tiny humans in this movie that are you wearing it does? like it leaf makes armor. The, it makes it less interesting. It, way less interesting. Way less interesting. And Continue. and it probably was more complicated to to animate for uh, all the people involved. You could just reuse like an existing like model from fucking Ice Age or whatever. I guess that's true. I, I guess you have a true. you have a people model that already exists. Uh, Amanda Seyfried plays a young girl who uh, her parents separated when she was younger, and she has been living in a city secluded away from her crazy father voiced by Jason Sudeikis, who has spent the last seemingly 25 years trying to capture evidence of this miniature civilization that exists out in the woods behind his house. So Amanda Seyfried returns to her father after the death of her mother, her father's ex-wife. They don't really connect. Meanwhile, the Boggins attack (laughs) the good guys. When the queen of the forest, play, voiced by Beyonce, is about to name her successor, which includes a magical ritual, and Amanda Seyfried's MK gets shrunken down into miniature form and joins the fight against the Boggins with Colin Farrell and Josh Hutcherson. And then antics ensue. Antics ensue. There's a prophecy, and they they save the fucking. Steven Tyler plays like a caterpillar. I think I, I don't know. It's yeah. it's exactly what you think it is, right? It's <laughs> like it's very New Hopey, right? Like it hits a lot. It's of, very of New Star Hopey. Wars. It's very New Hopey in the way that. All said fantasy one-offs yes. are New Hopey. Yes. Yeah. Like, there's a prophecy, you know? You think the bad guys are going to win around the end of the second act, and then the good guys go through, and the, the romantic couple smooches, and everything gets restored into, like, nice, happy order. And Someone gets kidnapped, and the good guys have to infiltrate the yeah. evil fortress to get the person out. Um, movies like this are insulting to the intelligence of children i'm just going to say that the the the, the fucking like complete lack of any like complications i agree it's something you know i think a lot about um coco you know problem coco one of the only in Pixar relation movies. to this no just in general um okay. coco one of the only contemporary Disney or Pixar movies that I had all respond to uh, because I think Coco has an immense amount of respect for the emotional intelligence of children and is, is willing to entrust them with being able to handle like kind of complicated and unresolved issues around the messiness of death. Yeah. If that makes sense. You know, it's a, it's, it is a weird status of the world that we have, come to where if this if i was to go back 10 years and tell myself what i'm about to say i don't think i would believe it but like just the fact that i have not seen every pixar release oh yeah i've seen the last like five years worth of them i have not seen every mcu property that has come out recently because i've just basically fought like i have no interest in engaging in that but i do agree with you i think like the 
the Pixar, the most successful in my mind, Pixar, more newer age Pixar films like Coco or Inside Out or these more meditative films that are like actually speaking to emotions that children yes. have but don't understand yet. And they're trying to like... It, I think the other important thing about those films is that they're not trying to tell children how to feel. They're just giving children like the opportunity to recognize how they feel and the ability to like have a conversation with their parents about said feelings and the ability to learn from it. Yeah. Yeah. That I think that's, that's wonderful. Something Um, that's that Epic doesn't intend to do in any, I intend to do it all, but I was just thinking about how like fucking neat the like resolution of this movie is. Yeah, And it's like, well, you can't let, like, you're like, you don't trust a kid to have any sort of complicated feelings about your movie. Uh, brief sidebar, but we said this. Honestly, Connor, what's the best Pixar movie? Because I, I, I got two? into it. You think it's Toy Story 2? Because I yeah. threw my take out to some people the other day and no one was having it. This but, is really difficult for me. Yeah. Because Toy Story, I think, I believe the original Toy Story was the first movie I had ever seen. And I was obsessed with it as a one-year-old. The Toy Story movies, it's especially the first and second, because I was already an adult by the time the third one came out. Yes. The first two are like heavily influential on my emotional makeup as a human sure. existing in the world today. Sure. And I think that the second one with kind of the second one goes into much more complicated territory about the ideas of moving on in life your duty yes. to other people uh dealing with trauma um the entire sequence with jesse is, is has always remained to be like one yeah. of the more heartbreaking things in any movie ever made um so i i i just feel a duty to like go with toy story 2 probably as my choice for the That's best cool. pixar film um yeah i think the best pixar movie is turning red <laughs> i still haven't seen it it's it's really fucking good like and 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 come completely divorced from nostalgia here. I think Turning Red is the most interesting and funniest and best animated Pixar movie. Do we you kind don't of... want to talk about? I know, that I know. Pick. We're not. We may never talk about Pixar ever again. But um, actually, that's true. Do you, in terms of Pixar films, Hanks. just because I want to get like this. This to me is yeah. interesting. Do you kind of segment them? And if you do, like, what is the end of the initial Pixar run? If you're oh, looking at well, the filmography. Uh, okay, so. Do you segment periods? And if, if yes, you do, I which do. film marks the end of the initial run of Pixar? Incredibles. Okay. Because it, it objectively does. I'm right because here. they're you animated human beings. No, because that's where the initial order from Disney um, ends. And after Incredibles, the three that follow Incredibles, which actually, no, I think Cars might be the last one. Yes, it's Cars. Sorry. Cars is the last one because then you have. so, So Disney owns Pixar now. But for the first 11 years of Pixar's existence, Disney did not own Pixar. Um Disney made a deal with Pixar to help fund and then distribute Toy Story. And when Toy Story was a hit, they signed a several picture deal with Pixar. And that that deal is Toy Story 2, Bugs Life, Finding Nemo, Incredibles, The First Cars. Um, When that deal ended... P- 
Pixar Monsters was a, and Monsters Inc. Thank you. I knew I was forgetting one. Yeah. Pixar and Disney were not happy with each other and did not want to continue the relationship. So Pixar, after making Cars, starts developing movies independently, which are Ratatouille, Wally, and Up. But what happens is shortly after they start developing those movies independently, there's a huge changeover in Disney corporates. Um, and now Disney leadership wants Pixar in the fold again. And so they just straight up buy Pixar out. But I do think the the segmenting is it ends with the end of that first Disney deal because that's OG Pixar management, OG Pixar design philosophies, storytelling philosophies. That's all a block. And everything since then is muddier. I think in just in my head, I include... Yeah. Cars, Ratatouille, Wally, and Up in that sure. run, and it's it's once you hit Toy Story three, which I yes. do think is a good film, but it which does... is the first one pre- that greenlit under Disney ownership. So that is my yeah. next segmentation. Seg- segmentation. And I I will I will take it a step further to say yeah. that like to me that is a film that I I think has a lot to say. I think was made with care but I do think was made in a sense reluctantly, at least to some extent. It, it objectively, like this yeah. is this is not speculation, Connor. You're, you're right here, I'm telling no, you. No, 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 no. Yeah. yeah, I'm just yeah. saying like, it's it's hard to say these things because there are so many people involved, you know? Um, but immediately from Toy Story 3, you hit Cars 2 and then Brave, I remember the release of being kind of a mess and then Monsters University sequel and then the good dinosaur and then as soon as you hit toy story three yeah you get into like very messy internal and cross-departmental politics that are influencing how these films are made and how they are released and when they are released and when they are finished and generally it it does mark a a decline in the quality of of what we're gonna make not to say that all of these movies are bad because that's definitely not true but i also don't particularly care for the 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 in-house trilogy and i know that's a bit contentious because i feel like people will cite the ratatouille wally up trilogy as like the pixar high point and i think it those movies are kind of bad um but those movies are bad I don't know and if it's interesting the high point i think a lot I of think... people think of them as the yeah. high point those no, movies I, I are do. bad i mean people yeah. love those movies yeah in interesting ways the stuff once Disney starts greenlighting the projects Toy Story 3 on, those movies are mostly bad in boring ways. I think, you know, to, to and then we should move on, but I, I do think like it up good. I think up movie that people love, but when you watch up from today's perspective, you can, you really start seeing the formula that Disney is yes. employing to greenlight and to, to produce all of the following films. Yes. Like up marks, the kind of emotional emotional manipulation that like a lot of these films are trying to replicate yes. moving forward. Um, and I think to me, the one that I have always kind of felt like it comes out at the exact time and the movie itself works in a way where I'm like, wow, these people are just cooking. Like it feels intuitive and they seem to be having a lot of fun is Monsters, Inc. is the one that... that yeah, Monsters, no, the, the early stuff is all very good. I just have a bit more 
affection for the handful of contemporary Pixar movies that I feel like have a legitimate emotional intelligence, which is really just Coco and Turning Red. Um, yeah, Soul to some extent. Soul is yeah. fucking awful. <laughs> soul is terrible. Soul is really bad. I'm sorry. It sucks. Um, Inside Out is to me kind of boring. Inside out. Oh, 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 yeah. Okay. I, yeah. It took me a second to remember. Like, I'm like, because they all have such similar titles now, also, like Inside yeah. Out, Elemental, Soul, even Turning Red kind of like falls into it. It's, it's difficult to distinguish in my brain. It's not as identifiable as like Toy Story, A Bug's Life, Monsters Inc. Here's the incredible. Here, here's the you thing know? about Turning Red is I'll also say this. I do think Domi Shi, who's the writer and director of Turning Red has weirdly managed to like trick her way into being the only legitimate auteur working in American animated features, um, which is a hard position to be in. Um, and part of that is that like Pixar gets good guy points for letting her make stuff. That's like clearly personal. But when I say that, like Domi, she is an auteur. I'm not saying that like both of her movies are, about like the immigrant experience and the Chinese diaspora. I am saying that both her movies are like fucked up and horny and weird in a way that like no one else, but Brad bird gets to have that much of a personal stamp. Uh, yeah. Like she, her, that she can like sell herself as an auteur to Disney as like, a, this is going to get you like good representation points. Let's her be like, get away with shit that I think no one else working for that company gets to get away with. Um, I'm sorry if that sounds rude, but she, um, I really like your fucking movies, dude. They're so good. I mean, I haven't seen turning red, but I've seen bow and yeah, I, I bow, think bow's I fucked up and exactly weird. What you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> turning red right. has a similar energy to bow, even if it's not as like as transgressive. It's basically a horny Hulk movie. It's a girl Hulks out when she gets horny. I mean, I know what it's about. I'm so I, that makes a lot of sense in my head. God yeah. bless. Um, we don't want to talk about, talk about the epic. 2013 movie Epic as it has become a running thing on this show. Us not wanting to talk about I can't remember the last movie. time we were. I mean, what's there to. Okay, so do we think they thought they would get sequels to this? I think they do. And I think that's why I, they I 100% it. think they do. Yeah. I think Blue Sky saw the like weird faltering of Disney and Pixar probably in the years when they're producing this movie as like, I think they saw the writing on the wall that Disney and Pixar were maybe have about to hit a rough patch. Um, and I think they saw an opportunity to reclaim the space of animated films as a spot for like legitimate tentpole blockbusters, right? Which is why I think this movie is so po-faced in its own way. And so like generic, like adventure movie is I think they wanted this to play less like ice age and more like the Avengers just to pick two. Movies. I think that not, I not think literally in terms true. of tone in terms of like commercial performance and cultural dominance and i think that's why they gave it such a boring title too like they don't want it to sound like cutesy 
The Leaf Men and the Brave it's Good so Pugs bad. is such a good title. <laughs> Epic is such a bad title. But this because this to the point where so if I dry. type in if I type in epic film, Google gives me a list of yeah. <laughs> films like, that fall within the genre of epic, and and not. And if you movie. type in epic movie, you're gonna get a different yeah. film that <laughs> yeah. is probably better than this one. Um, we should do a Freeberg and Seltzer mini mini series. Just oh, just watch all eight of their movies. How um, how far do we make it before both of us are? You see the obituary. I will fucking get all the way to super fast. I don't care what you're thinking. Um, I have long thought about like getting a bunch of friends over and being like, we're going to see how many of these we can watch in a straight session, um, which sucks because the good one's early because meeting the Spartans is good. Um, I've never felt this way before, but like I would be that guy who's like, I think I need drugs. I need drugs available at this party for um, me to make it all the way. Through. It's only like 12 hours. Um, we could do it. 12 hours that will feel like an inception when no, they spend seventy years. No, you keep on recognizing people in. you know. When so it's over, like... when it when it ends, I will be Ken Watanabe at the end of Inception, or I guess in the beginning of Inception. However, you want to think about that movie when he's like a three hundred year old man. Yeah. Oh man, want to talk about Inception? Let's talk about Inception. You want to talk about how Connor hated Killers of the Flower Moon? We can talk about that. Um, We can talk about The Killer, which Connor hasn't seen yet. Um, I'd love to talk about The Killer. I don't know. I just think this movie, but like, okay. If you compare this movie to Brave, um, which is also a movie that I think is stinky poo-poo, and is also like a big fantasy adventure, right? Yeah. Brave is so interested in functioning as a Pixar movie and in, and like within the like contemporary language of animated children's movies that also appeal to adults in a way that this movie is not interested in functioning like this. I feel like this movie is interested in functioning like a bad live action movie from 2007. Like, yes, like yes. really like siloing off. Yeah the fucking comedic relief into its own little pocket. Like, like it feels like something more like something like Aragon than it does like the actual animated movies it's in conversation with. And I feel like that has to be someone at Fox being like, you know, you know, Griffin Newman's take on blank check that the, the first movie in any animation medium is, is the one that like sets the tone for what that entire medium is going to be. That like Snow White. I don't know if I've heard that specific take because uh, I haven't listened to every single episode, but I I, I can see what I can see what you're saying. So it, so his yeah. take is like Snow White is the first um, cell animated feature. So functionally, every cell animated movie to come out in the United States is at least in some conversation with fairy tales. Um, and then Toy Story is the first keyframe animated movie and that sort of like pixar tone is the sort of like sensibility that everyone to follow is in conversation with and nightmare before christmas is the first like truly successful stop motion movie so all stop motion movies are a little tim burtony um which they are is the thing right like yeah. like there are sensibilities to these sub mediums of animation in the united states that are defined by what the first hit was in the genre and i wonder if fox thought they could change that and like rest the tone of 
CGI animation away from that more like talky character driven style because like for all that like Shrek unless unless Cole you want to yeah. just say that Avatar is just the next well that's era of animation the other and then... thing because the Avatar <laughs> movies are animated movies yeah that's the other thing but like Ice Age and Shrek even if they have more in common with each other than they do with Toy Story have way more in common with Toy Story is like a sensibility than they do with this, right? Oh, oh yeah. The, the, I think the, so. There's a conversation. The tonality within to the tonality it. Yeah. and to the way those that they are like screenplay first movies, performance first movies, in a way that this isn't. Speak on Avatar, Connor. Uh, the James Cameron film Avatar from 2009. Uh, yeah. Epic is, in some ways, a direct remake of the it's 2009 James Cameron Avatar-y. movie Avatar. Yes. <laughs> and if you're saying, hey, Avatar seems to share a lot in common with other stories that had been depicted before it, you are correct in that thinking. And uh, so when you something? hit... When you hit a film that is a derivative of derivative, you're not dealing with something especially thought-provoking or moving. Can, or can I, can I just say something real quick? What's up? I don't like Avatar, the movie Avatar. So like, I'm not like defending Avatar here. I do like the movie Avatar, The Way of Water, a perfect masterpiece. Avatar is not a very good movie. Um, I know none of you actually like Fern Gully that much. Like, like, like. Shut the fuck up about the Fern Gully thing. You don't actually care about Fern Gully. You're just like being a dumb nerd on the internet and like trying to be more popular than dumb nerds on the internet don't like Avatar because Avatar ultimately proves the lie to the whole like the nerds took over in the late 2000s thing and defines the culture because the only true piece of monoculture is the thing that is completely divorced from nerd culture and fanfic culture. Um, and so they pretend to like fucking Fern Gully to take down Avatar, but I know you're fucking Avatar. bullshitting. I know you don't care. None of you have actually fucking seen dances with wolves. Shut the fuck up. Okay. There we go. Continue. That, that I, I can understand the similarities to dance with wolves thematically that avatar kind of shares but that as as someone that has watched all of dances with wolves that's always been a, a comparison that's escaped me to, to some extent stretch yeah i think we get a little obsessed in and it's because of this like hyper communicativeness of the internet i i do think we get a little obsessed of there are times when the argument is fitting that something is too derivative of a piece of fiction that had come out before it but there are other times when it's like it is not derivative as much in the sense that it is in conversation with said properties the said stories that have already been told and that's always important to to reinvigorate kind of timeless stories that that still are fitting in the social structure of the now has has always been important in storytelling and filmmaking specifically um so that's always kind of the idea that it's bad because it does too much that Dances with Wolves does. Does which, it even again, do that yeah. much, though, is what I'm saying. Has always been a weird conversation to me. But when you have a film like Epic, yeah. that seems to do nothing. And That's a lot of what problem, it does, right? A lot of what it does do is taken from other films like Avatar, like Star Wars, like Fern Gully, if, if, if you want to think about it in that sense then it becomes a problem 
because it's not saying anything new or just it's not giving you anything new to think about. Yeah. It's 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 I feel like I've referred to many movies as being hard to watch. Uh, this one is very hard to watch in that you're just like you just shut down when you watch it because it's so generic. Right. I think the movie Down tells the you title. pretty the movie tells you pretty early on that you don't need to pay attention to it. You don't need to pay attention yeah. to it. Do we just want to talk about the actors? I guess so. I mean, I hate to say it because I feel like we've I all I've done is make it seem like I hate this man and I hope that he would die. But I Jason Sudeikis is his voice acting in this movie is like atrocious and it's probably the biggest issue with this movie That's because this interesting. movie you think Sudeikis is the bad one I think he's I think he's horrible and I I, think, I don't think he's good but he's not the one who like stands out to me I think if the, the movie one. I think if the movie actually wants to reach you that relationship between MK and her father needs yes. to be a real relationship and I think Sudeikis is such a buffoon at least his voice acting in this movie is so Buffoonic yeah, he's he, that, he is playing it like an SNL skit. He's yeah, he's playing it like an SNL skit, and you can't take it seriously. And he's playing it more in the sense of like in another version of the hero's journey, he's playing the parental figure that the hero leaves, and then you never think about them returning to said parental figure because said parental figure is like non consequential to anything of importance that's happening. Beyond. This is a, this is a good year for Sudeikis, though. Yeah, uh, I mean, and we spoke about it, and he's, he's again, yeah. Sudeikis is in at in the time a lot of my favorite SNL yes. sketches from that time. Sudeikis period. was maybe my favorite of his cast. Yeah, I but, I, I think that's probably is because he is. Or is Hater still there when Sudeikis is there? Oh, well, yeah, Hater, you're right. Sorry, Hater's the better of the two. But, like, I am I am always drawn to the people like that who are more about, like, anchoring the sketch than leading the sketch. Yeah. Like your Haters, yeah. like your Sudeikis's, like your um, Cecily Strong. Yes. Yeah. Um, the the like B, the SNL B listers are always and that's rude that sounds rude but Jason Sudeikis is also in the single best SNL skit of all time, uh, in the year of our Lord two thousand and nine I believe, uh, he is in a little skit with uh, Will Forte and uh, Blake Lively, uh, called Potato Chip. Connor, do you know the the SNL skit of which I of think I, I I don't know if I know that one. When we're done here, go watch Potato, Potato Chip. Chip. Potato chip with Blake Lively. Yes, interesting. Okay. They okay. So about a month earlier, they had done it at dress rehearsal with Taylor Swift. Oh, and really? It bombed at dress, and they cut it from the broadcast. And then they needed a skit, and like Sudeikis and Forte managed to talk them into doing it with Blake. Um, so they did it with Blake. They've never, to my knowledge, released the Taylor Swift version. Um, wow. When you watch this kid, you're going to be, they have said she did something completely different from Blake Lively. Uh, Potato Chip is the greatest SNL skit of all time. I'm sorry. Uh, listeners, go watch Potato Chip. Don't watch Epic. Don't even listen to the rest of this podcast. Um, but you're Just right. to throw this out there, because I'm thinking yeah. about it. 
I yeah. will say I think I prefer both Hater and Kristen Wiig to Sudeikis and his time. But never Sudeikis liked to me on SNL. Still very memorable and yeah. still in some of my favorites. Well, okay, and also yeah. I should clarify because I I I forget to clarify this sometimes when we're talking about the last twenty years of SNL. I do think Keenan is the all-time number one best SNL cast member. Well, he's the ultimate example of what you're talking about, of like yeah, the guy exactly. to just be in there to so, anchor the thing down. I, I, I do forget that when I'm talking yeah. about like SNL cast, I need to clarify. Keenan's always the best. He's the greatest <laughs> to ever fucking do it. Um, he's a legend. I hope he's on that show till the day he dies. He's got um, the juice. He's got the fucking juice. Um, yeah. Sudeikis is in this movie. I don't think he's good. I don't think he's the disastrous part, though. And maybe it's because he's not in the movie very much, but he 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 doesn't really get to, like, annoy me, if that makes sense. I think that's more of the issue. Yeah. It's because he's his character is given such little screen time, and you really need that relationship to, to be sentimental. Well, let me say this, because I think there is clearly a worse performance in this movie. <laughs> and I don't want to be rude. Is... Because I love this actor. They're one of my favorite actors working today. They are frequently in dog shit movies like Epic. And I am often like, ooh, but they're really fucking good in it. But Amanda Seyfried, man, (laughs) it's really, really bad in Epic. Yeah, I I think it's the thing is because she's so flat in Epic. And she's so flat. Sudeikis is clearly trying something and the fact that he's trying something and it goes so far in the opposite yes, direction no, I of think like that's what, I emotion- what I emotionally need that to be. But I think Seyfried as like the ostensible protagonist that she's just like, oh, we need to go save the, the we need to find the pod. I'm going with you. That she's doing basically that, that like the like parody of bad voice acting performances that people do. Right. He's the essential example of like why this kind of celebrity casting in animated films doesn't work. But Amanda Seyfried is not normally the worst performance in a movie. This is my point. Did you see Scoob? I have seen. Yeah, I have seen that. Is she good in Scoob? Let's talk about one. Um, I, I haven't seen it. I'm, I'm literally asking. I think it's more noticeable that it's Amanda Seyfried. Okay. Yeah. But I'm just looking through her filmography because I know you said you really liked her in Ted 2. And I should have watched Ted 2 before this. I'm sorry. I think, I don't know if I would go so far to say I really like her, but I do think Ted 2 is pretty funny. And I do think she is funny in Ted 2. Sure. But like, I'm just thinking like Les Mis, Million Ways to Die in the West, fucking Anon the Andrew Nichol movie Anon um, you should have left Mank like all bad movies where I'm walking out of that movie being like yeah but Amanda Seyfried really like ran the fuck away with that thing Um, like that I feel to me is like my normal response to Amanda Seyfried being in a bad movie is like she's the clear undeniable thing that's working about this thing and she is I am like shocked to be like this movie's bad and somehow everyone else is on a higher level than fucking Amanda Seyfried now that I'm thinking about it a little bit more I will tell you what is a a little strange about the movie Scoob is that (laughs) 
it, <laughs> so the movie Scoob, like most of the voice actors are either comedians like Ken Jong or Tracy Morgan or yes. uh, other celebrities who have more like iconic sounding voices like a Henry Winkler or a John DiMaggio voice actor. Um, but then the main, other than Scooby, the main cast is Gina Rodriguez, who does voice acting work, yes. Zac Efron and Amanda yes. Seyfried as like the remaining mystery team crew. Yeah. Um, there so was I actually think... a bit of controversy around that um, because to once again mention Frank Welker on this episode. Um, who Frank voiced Welker, Scooby in the movie. Voice Scooby in the movie, aside yeah. from doing animal voices, a notable thing about Frank Welker is up until the movie Scoob, with the exception of Freddie Prinze Jr., no one had ever played Fred but Frank Welker. I do like I remember yeah. the, I remember this conversation. Yeah. And there was the, a bit of controversy when, when they out. announced that Zach Efron was yeah. playing Fred because people were like, that's Frank Welker's like big character is well, playing Fred. Beyond Jones. that, beyond that with Scooby Doo, which is big gap from the original run of Scooby Doo. Yes. to it's kind of like recurringness as a property that's being repeatedly reached into from the late 80s through the present day but for the last like 15 years there's been a small collection of people who have voiced all of those characters yes. on and off regularly from project to project regardless of like yes. the tone of said project yes or yes. what kind of distribution method that project is being delivered it's been the same group of voice actors yes. either voicing the same character in every single thing or kind of tag teaming switching back and forth on the same character so it, it is it does throw in a question it's like well why do you bring why do you bring back frank welker and then have the rest of the mystery team just be four celebrities I mean, that have no other, no prior relationship to the Scooby-Doo this, property. This is the problem with the Mario movie, right? Yeah. Is that like, I have not seen Mario yet. I will. Um, who knows? But like Jack Black as Bowser is interesting casting because Jack Black's whole persona you can see, like, oh, that's going to end in, lend an interesting, like, humor to Bowser as a character. Charlie Day as Luigi is not, right? Yeah. Fucking Rogan as yeah. um, Seth Rogan as Donkey Kong, really not, right? Like, who plays P Princess Peach in that? Is it Anya Taylor-Joy? I have no idea. Yeah. Did you see it? I haven't seen it. Mario. Yeah, I never fucking saw it. Um, do you ever think about how Charles Martinet is in the David Fincher film The Game? <laughs> did you know this? <laughs> I did not know that. Have you seen The Game? I haven't. It's the one Fincher movie I haven't seen. Oh, oh I guess um, I haven't seen The Killer now. Yeah, also, you should fucking see The Game. Um, listeners, if you've seen The Game, Charles Martinet, who... This episode is just is... you asking me if I've seen a movie and me yeah. saying I actually haven't seen that movie. Charles Martinet, um, who is the voice actor who played Mario for basically every Mario project and recently retired, appears in the game in like photographs and like home movies that Michael Douglas watches as Michael Douglas and Sean Penn's dead dad in the game and in like brief flashbacks like he doesn't have a line or anything but it's just charles martinet the voice actor of mario like standing there sternly and like yelling at his son at a birthday party or whatever 
Cole, do you like the game? Is it a big I miss for me? Love the game. Okay, I've never uh, see. I've never uh, talked to anybody about it, partly because I haven't seen it, but also when I read the description of it, it sounds just like the dumbest movie ever made. It does. No it does. It does. It, it yeah. does. I know it sounds annoying. You have to understand that the game is like one of the great movies ever made about humankind's innate desire to believe in God. Um. It's one of the okay. most like emotionally affecting David Fincher movies, like truly. Um, well, it was like it man. was like a pre-existing spec script that had been tossed yes. around a bunch yes. before it landed yes. at Fincher, right? You have to understand that Andrew Kevin Walker basically does page one rewrites on yeah. every David Fincher movie. This is my growing understanding of the Andrew Kevin Walker thing. Um, is that I know that, but it's just when you know. To describe it the best I can, because I haven't seen the movie. It's like yeah. when you're reading that, it's like, oh, he thinks that his brother might be playing a gigantic social prank on him. And you're not sure if it's real or not. I, it To me, I, it I, hasn't I, been oh, one. The description of it has never driven me to seek it out. Yeah. I think it kind of nails it. That movie I rules, guess, man. Well, I mean, I haven't seen it. It's just You should I've fucking had, watch like, it. You'd like it, Connor. I think you'd like it. It's weird. Probably. It's better than seven. I like seven, to be clear. It's just like near the bottom of the good David Fincher movies for me. Um, it's not a bad David Fincher movie like Mank, which stars a bit of Seyfried, who is also terrible in Epic. We- okay. I do like Mank. I do like Mank. Um I, what I have been recognizing more and more, though, for me personally, as we do this podcast, is like, I my tastes have changed so much between the years of 2016 and 2021 yes. that sometimes for a film that I had seen, the last time I had seen it is before that period had begun, or even like early on within that period. I, I can't, like, I don't feel comfortable saying I think it's great or I think it's bad because sometimes I will rewatch those films and be completely taken aback at like how wrong my opinion of it had been the first time around and how much I had changed now. I, Seven is one of those movies I watched when I was a teenager because it's one yeah. of those like edgelord teenage yes. boy movies that everybody talks about and passes around. Um, my thing with Seven is that I have always thought about how kind of impeccable the style the aesthetic stylization of that film is and how much that has impacted me and my tastes moving forward um i like that it is kind of a comic book movie before comic book movies were really taken seriously in tone i know it's not based on i understand what you're saying But even even when I was younger, it was never one that I would especially like felt moved by in any yeah. specific way. Yeah. My thing about seven is just that I just don't think it's about anything. I guess that's what I'm trying to I say. I think it's a little yeah. vapid. Um, beyond like some like kind of lazy dorm room philosophizing, I do think it's just like a, an empty stylistic gesture. So it's good, but like you know, I'm also the person who kind of bristles at the labeling of David Fincher as this like cold guy who just makes like empty stylistic efforts. I think a lot of his movies are very deep and moving and like beautiful. That's why I like Mink. I like Mink because of that reason. Because I think he's genuinely trying to say something like. Oh, I do. Like, I also think he's sincere. fucking trying to say something in the fucking curious case of Benjamin Button. Like, 
Yeah, but Benjamin Button is more calculated to me. Yeah, no, Benjamin Button's yeah. fucking so bad. Um, you know what's a deeply profound movie? It's hard to say it's, it's bad killer. when it's like it's a movie that a lot of his movies and just a lot of these movies that we throw around in general, it's always difficult for me to say it's bad, even though I might have issues with it because inherently Benjamin Button is still interesting for me to watch. It's so uninteresting for me to watch. Really? Yeah. I've never, I've never had any vibing with it ever. I, I just three times. Frankly, like I just find the special effects compelling, like in its I own think manner. They're bad. Yeah. I think they're bad. And I think I, it looks bad. I don't think they're spot on, but I think like as they are and as they are like a marker of where technology was at the time and, and sure. where it's been growing. I like, I just, I've always, it's one of those things where it's like watching the first 10 minutes of uh X-Men Origins Wolverine or whatever. When a movie I've never seen. Heading through time. It's like stuff that I wouldn't say is good, but like I return to for some reason for some aspect of value. I also, and I said it, I said it early on this podcast, I think Blanchett is good in Benjamin. No, Biden. I think she's bad. But Seyfried in total, in totality, like maybe, maybe I've just, my I've always been looking through, uh, Rose tinted glasses after First Reformed because I love her so much She's in that film. Fucking and I think wonderful in First Reformed. So great. Uh, that I really think of as a supremely gifted actress and like a great inclusion in anything that she may be in, even though when I'm thinking of her career as a whole, there's not like dozens of performances that I pull out. See, I as examples I do of her think being incredible. There are like dozens of performances I pull out. Um, even if a lot of times they're in bad movies. And even when she's in good movies, like I'm sorry, she's the best part of the Mamma Mia movies. Um Yeah, I think that's true. She's too. one I mean, she doesn't give the best performance in Mean Girls, but she's up there. Um She's up there. Yeah, like I said, she's yeah. I think she's wonderful in Les Mis. Um, she's good in Jennifer's body. Man, she's great. She's fucking great in Jennifer's body. Um, you mentioned First Reform. She's wonderful in First Reform. She's wonderful in Mank. Um, I love Chloe, the Adam McGoyan movie she made. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really excited for this new Adam McGoyan movie she's got. Uh, in the tank. If she's it... really bad in Epic. Um. <laughs> When I edit this episode, what do you think will be the longest continuous stretch of time in which we are talking about Epic? <laughs> or we know. start talking about it. We've done this with so many episodes. because This yeah. is the worst one. This is the one where we're on our worst behavior. Yeah, because there's just, um, I mean, like, frankly, there's just not a lot to talk about because yeah. there, okay, who so gives... much of it is pulled from pre-existing media. Yeah, Even like... The design, like, so we're talking about in the in the picture book that this is based off of, yes. that the leaf men are drawn as like sentiently. They are green. They cool. look like foliage. Cool. And this one, they look like human men. Cool. I don't not think it's cool. cool. They, yeah. It's not cool. I meant to say not cool. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> no, I'm wrong. They look like human men. Draws a lot of things into question. Like, if her dad spends all his time trying to capture footage of them and they don't blend into anything and they look like tiny humans and clearly he could capture video of it because the end of the movie 
is like reliant on them being able to video conference with each other. Yeah, the movie ends with them Skyping. Yeah. <laughs> FaceTiming. The movie sucks. She's in like a long distance relationship as regular human sized Amanda C. Sorry, MK. And uh, she's in like a long distance relationship with tiny pencil sized Josh Hutcherson. And they have to talk where like the movie shows that the the miniature beings of the forest move at a faster pace than regular size human beings and regular size animals move, but do. process they process like when they are in the miniature world the humans look like slow lumbering behemoths to them and talk yeah. like everything is in slow motion yes so at the end of the movie when they're communicating with each other across these like boundaries the humans have to basically like take footage of the miniature people and then slow it down but this is all done in real time and the temporal activity of what's happening doesn't make any sense whatsoever could you make sense of it because i couldn't no. make sense of it but yeah. but that honestly i wasn't even thinking about it there is a there is a thing in this movie that does not make sense to me and it bothered me from the beginning and i don't think i was like paying attention to other things that don't make sense because this one thing was just like gnawing at me well i just named like three things right there but i think yeah. the biggest issue with the leaf man is because this is trying to say that there is a secret civilization that is camouflaged within the forest yes. that's made up of the things that we know are in the yes. forest, like leaves, like flowers, like slugs and snails. Like boggins. We all know <laughs> like about bog boggins, the famous boggins. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then when you change the design of the leaf men to look like little humans, and you have a character whose entire function is to be so obsessed with finding so obsessed with using expensive modern technology to try to find existence of said beings that he pushes his family away from him and isolates himself from society and then he can't do it i don't understand what's happening there when clearly it's possible because the movie shows at the end that it, it was possible for him to find existence of them but it would make yeah. more sense if they were just leaves it would make more sense if there were yeah. leaves. I do think the justification for that is that they basically say in one scene, we're much smarter than him and have been giving him bad information, like have been running this entire op designed to keep this guy off our track. Yeah, that and makes he sense. doesn't actually discover it. What 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 leads to him discovering it is MK choosing to tell him these things. My question to you is, is this only happening in this forest or are these okay, civilizations? Okay, in okay, every okay, okay. This is what I, this is what, okay, here we go. Yeah. I think the answer is yes. Because it has this, to be, right? Because it there has was, to be. It would be discovered otherwise. Okay, it would because, be, it would have to because be. Because within the shrunken world, you do have this like large spanning multiple spaces like intermingling of cultures like you know fantasy land and the idea that like you could condense all that into the forest if everyone was sub insect sized makes sense as a question of scale so i do think all of this is taking place in um this one forest in connecticut and certainly there's nothing to actually indicate that it doesn't beyond the question I'm about to ask you. So Connor, if this whole thing is taking place in this one forest in Connecticut. Yeah. 
how are they aware of Japan? Because what, what is sense? the name of Colin Farrell's character? Oh, his name is Ronan, isn't his it? His name is Ronan, which is and a Japanese word. And he's Irish. Yeah, I okay, don't... yes, okay, so yes, yes. If it's all condensed as one, yeah. why is one of them Irish and one of them German? And one um, of them sounds like Beyonce. <laughs> no, that's fine. But like, why is one of them Irish? And one no, of but them I'm German? saying, why does she sound like Beyonce when the other one is Irish and the yes. bad guy is German? Yes. Why does the um, queen sound like Beyonce? Yes. But then the other question is, um, why, why, why do they? Why is he named Ronan? I don't know. What are their <laughs> other names? The 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 Aziz Ansari's name is Mub, right? And then, sure. Yeah. So so what... so so the other names of characters: Nod. Mandrake, Mub, Grub, Bufo, Nimkalu, Tara, Dagda. Right? I <laughs> and think then those Ronan. are the characters we need, meet. Um, speaking of that, is Bob, a great question, Cole. I don't know why yeah. it never occurred to me that his name was in a Japanese word, a, a yeah. very famous Japanese word, but <laughs> that doesn't really actually describe him yeah. at all. Because I shouldn't have to explain this, but. A Ronin is a wanderer, right? Yeah. And the character Colin Farrell plays is like a general who has an army and cares deeply about all of his men. He's not like a wandering loner. He's um, playing a general that const- consistently says throughout the movie that leaves are all stemming from the yeah, same Yeah, we're tree. all together. Yeah. I, I, by the way, incidentally, as like the dumb philosophical like phrasing that these movies have to have goes it's no the way of water has no beginning and no end but all leaves are on the same tree is like kind of a nice little like i think that that that's oh, like i a, think so i think I, that I think that has works. to be in the in the picture book. sure yeah. but it works it's a it's a nice idea i liked all the callbacks to it you know it's 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 a good little like mantra that they all repeat um speaking briefly of mub and grub uh well i do still think that amanda Seyfried is the worst part of this movie um anytime that season sorry or chris o'dowd spoke in this movie i wanted to uh commit suicide <laughs> they're so yeah, it's annoying not great. it's not great Who's I don't the think they're the best part, performance in this movie. Because I, I have, I have two options for you. All right, what's, I think, the, what's the what's the what's the option that's not making you laugh? Steven Tyler is the one that's not Tyler. making you laugh. Is the one that's not making me laugh. I think Steven Tyler is easily the best performance in this yeah. movie. Holy shit! There's another one that I think is actually like shockingly good, and I Who? just cannot. Who? It's Pitbull as Buffo the Toad. Pitbull as Buffo the Toad. Yeah. I don't know if I can get on board with that, but he's better than. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't do. He's essentially playing like a toad that is the job of the hut. He's of... playing like Watto. Yeah, yeah. I guess more like Watto. There's a yeah. brief. There's a brief. Uh, fucking uh, pod race scene in this movie. Yeah, yeah. With like, pit, um, with like a little, <laughs> I don't know, little fuzzball birds. Um, when I saw that Pitbull was in this movie, I was like, <laughs> oh. No, and then Pitbull in the movie is like fine. Yeah, so I think you might be overcorrecting for what you expected. I guess that's Uh, true because he was fine to the point that like 
I was like, oh, I like the voice that whoever this guy is is doing as the toad. And I forgot that Pitbull is in the oh, movie. I and then when I Pitbull and then when I looked up the cast, but no, it was one of those where it was like I recognized the yeah. voice, but I don't know who it is. Yeah. And then when I looked it up, I went, oh shit, it's Pitbull. And it wasn't horrible. It wasn't like I don't know. You expect it to be the worst thing you've ever heard in your entire life. Steven Tyler's really good at Epic, though. Yeah, Steven Tyler's pretty great. Another thing where I was like, oh, God, this is going to be the worst thing of all time. He hits like, his marks, like, perfectly. Yeah, he yeah. sings, like, a shitty, annoying song, and you're like, uh. <laughs> but they, it's exactly right. Like, he hits okay, that's his another marks thing. perfectly. That's another thing. Because is that the only song in this movie? Yes. Except for there's a Beyonce song in the end credits. Over the credits. Over the end credits. Yes. This movie... Should be a musical. Why is this movie not a musical? Should it be a musical? It's musicals. Musical. They're not doing Disney musicals. Animated movies aren't musicals at this point. This is six I, months before Frozen. I know they're not, but I, I think it's a problem. Yes, I think this I one always think it makes great. it makes sense why Shrek isn't a musical. It yes. makes sense why Ice Age isn't a musical. Yes, I don't understand why this one isn't a musical. Okay, yeah. Can I give you my 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 counter argument to that? Wouldn't it at least be more fun if there were catchy songs in it? Okay, who writes the songs, Connor? I have no idea. Well, pitch me on that and I'm sold. But the problem with this animated movie musical revival that we've been in over like the past post in the post frozen years is that the songs are mostly bad. That's right. Like that is that is a true issue. Yeah. The songs in Disney movies in the 40s are good the songs in disney movies in the 90s are great Mm -hmm. there has been two good disney songs in the past 10 years remember me and how far i'll go yeah i really like how far i'll go uh it should have won the oscar it's insane that it didn't win the oscar yeah do you remember what beat it for the Academy Award for Best Original Song? No. <laughs> City of Stars. Oh, really? Wow, that Academy Award is a mess. Stars. I mean, the right movie won Best Picture at the end of the yeah. day, but what a messy Academy Award. <laughs> what a disaster. Yeah. Um, are you excited for Oppenheimer to beat your least favorite movie of the year for Best Picture this year? <laughs> Catch the Flower Moon, which you hated. <laughs> Not even remotely close to my least favorite movie. You hated it so much. Uh, but I Lily, do. I you think Lily Gladstone's terrible. In it? I don't. <laughs> that is that is literally <laughs> the opposite. That it like like if I if you had to say what do you want more from Killers of the Flower Moon, uh, my initial thing would be like I just give me more yes. Lily Gladstone. Yes. Yeah. No. A right billion. A billion. A yeah. billion percent is that. Which is why I had this realization the other night that I'm in the two weeks I've seen it. I've been like, man, really, I can't figure out if I think she's leader supporting. And, um, well, because it's the movie is about the DiCaprio character, and that's what it is. Yeah. Is that like if my big takeaway is that I wish Lily Gladstone was the main character of the movie, then she's supporting, right? Look, not to spoil it and not to extend this conversation into like huge proportions, but I read the book before seeing the movie. Yes. The DiCaprio character in the book is yes. I understand. I understand the emotional conflict that's happening, and that exists in the book as well. This yes. idea of like terrible things happening, but also being in love with said person without yes. spoiling. I it's understand more, that. 
interesting it is, if it comes from Molly. Way more interesting yes. if it comes from Molly. It's way more interesting if Molly understands more of what's happening, which yes. in the book is alluded to that it seems like she has kind of pieced everything together, but is for whatever emotional hangup, like unwilling to unravel the sweater, you could say. And yeah. the movie, like, it's one of the rare times we're reading the book beforehand. Someone who's interested in adaptation process, yes. I always try to read the thing beforehand. If the thing has been that acclaimed and that important and that widely cited, I always try to read it beforehand. It doesn't always work out for the best viewing experience. This was an example where, like, the complexity of what's going on in my head while and after reading the book is much more complex than what comes across on screen. Yes. I think despite what what's yeah. on screen is truly like inherently pretty messy and complicated. Yes. But in the book it, there's just there's a lot more that you can infer of what of what's happening internally for everybody involved. As someone who liked Killers of the Flower Moon more than you did. Yeah. But Less but, than I, I mean, think. it's a Scorsese movie, and I liked yeah. it. A movie yeah. I liked more than you did, but le- a little bit more than you did, but much less than a lot of other people did. Frank Sheeran is the most interesting character in The Irishman. Even if everyone else feels like they should be a more interesting character, that movie manages to make him as this like passive goon the most like emotionally complex and interesting character. Yeah, Ernest Burkhart is the equivalent to Frank Sheeran in the story of Killers of the Flower Moon, right? Like, I understand why they're trying to make him the center of the movie because yeah. it's the same idea. But Ernest Burkhart is the least interesting character in Killers of the Flower Moon. And that's the problem. Okay. Anyone go... else is a better protagonist. If you haven't seen Killers of the Flower Moon yet, listener, please skip. You've like, had Connor, this movie, this episode oh, dropped yeah. in 2029. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, you've seen the movie. You've seen the movie already. They've had and, time. In fact, in fact, the movie has probably already won Best Picture or whatever is no, happening. No, Oppenheimer's winning picture. Yeah. Gladstone's winning actress. To get to get in real quick, like uh, Lily, I, if you're listening, I to this, don't know you. because there's such a weird thing about Nolan. I don't know if I would say that Oppenheimer is going to win Best Picture. Billion dollars, it, billion dollars. It's the billion dollars clinches it. If I had a it's vote, his time. I'm voting for. I'm genuinely just yeah. based off the filmmaking alone. I yes. would vote for Oppenheimer. Um, I went to a public interview of Scorsese the other day, and this had already been out in the news. This is like a known thing already, but he was talking more about the process of DiCaprio was initially supposed to play the Jesse Plemons character. And the initial conception of the film was supposed to be more about the burgeoning aspects of the FBI and how the FBI became uh, one, how it became the FBI. And as, as opposed to just the Bureau, like a privatized Bureau of Investigation and to how it became like a ubiquitous household name. And I understand why Scorsese, based within the context of all of his prior work, would lean more towards the relationship between Ernest and Molly and more between the internal, like he would lean more on the internal conflict within Ernest himself to be the thing that to him holds the movie down emotionally, which to me just made me feel like 
I know you felt very connected to the subject matter and what had happened in history, but then I don't know if you were necessarily the best filmmaker to take this on because as the viewer, I would have rather seen to throw out the name. We always throw out, like I would have rather seen the Michael Mann version about the politics happening around the FBI and that kind of procedural aspect of this initial headline worthy investigation that thrust the FBI into what it became in on a, on a, on a, national scale in my mind there are four movies that immediately presented themselves to me when i watched colors of the flower moon as like other approaches that seemed like obvious ways they could have gone with the movie than the one they did yeah Um, and i think part of my problem with the movie is that they try to be those movies at the same time there's the version you just mentioned there's the domestic drama that Gladstone is the protagonist of. I find that one to be extremely there's, interesting. Yes. I wish, the, I think I wish that was the movie Scorsese had made. Yeah. So it's yes, the domestic I, drama. That, that's the one Gladstone I truly do think is the one that should have yeah. been it. But there's the move, there's the there's a there's a version of this movie where Gladstone is the protagonist. There's a version of this movie where Plemons is the protagonist. There's a version of this movie where um De Niro's the protagonist. Yeah. That's that's about the conspiracy and about the logistics of everything and all the plotting. And there's a version of this movie that's about all the Osage, like, that's just the fucking, like, Osage as a political body trying to figure out how to respond to this, right? Yeah, yeah. The Ken Loach, the Ken Loach approach. Exactly. Yeah. Any of those movies is a more interesting, just on its face, regardless of who makes the movie is a more interesting approach to the story than the one Scorsese chose. The one Scorsese chose is, I I think that's the issue with Killers of the Flower Moon is like for a whole host of reasons, you've just stumbled into the wrong lens. And even if everything in the lens is perfectly well-framed, it's still the wrong lens. I think because also because of its fidelity to actual history is very accurate to what happened in real life. I think because of that fidelity, it unfortunately to me, it's also too long in the sense that it's pacing really suffers because you I, understand I I what's happening yeah. at every turn along stuff the, like that doesn't yeah. necessarily bother me to the degree that the like I'm just not interested in earnest bothers me. Well, I think I think what we're saying, I think yeah, I just named a structural aspect yes. of not necessarily being interested in earnest and then the film's really coming slowly again it's a good movie everybody it's It's a good good movie movie. yeah you're allowed to criticize good movies that is the movie i the movie i think of with it most is gangs of new york it feels most like gangs new york to me for scorsese where like there's a lot of surface pleasures but you're too broad. You're it's both too broad and too specific in weird ways. And the whole thing just feels like a little ill-conceived from the start in a way that like no level of execution can I think fully overcome. Does that make sense? Well, I think because of its historical fidelity as well, sure. it strays away from having its opposite approaches because the Irishman was like. This stuff might not be real in any way. The Irishman is almost complete bullshit. 
Yeah. And, and God bless it for it. But you have the conversations at the end of the movie. You have the conversations yeah. between Frank and, and Pesci and the conversations between Frank and uh, Hoffa. And you don't have, you don't, you don't have that dy- no, dynamic no between Ernest and the other characters. Exactly. Flower Moon. Yeah. Lily Gladstone should definitely win Best Actress. So I'm just going to put that out. They aren't going to nominate Tiana Taylor for 1001, the best performance of 2023, uh, which is looking like is not going to happen. I like Tiana Taylor, but if there's anybody from the movies that I've seen this year that I hope really pop and I hope I see in a great film year after year after year moving forward, it's probably Lily Gladstone. Oh, 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 oh. I've been a Lily Gladstone fucking like ride or die since certain women. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. Which uh, Scorsese said that was the, the oh, of film. Course. That was the film that his. Um, These barely worked since. I think she's done television, right? She's in like a few episodes of Reservation Dogs. Oh, she I, has a cameo in First Cow. It. She's barely worked since. It's a, it's a great tragedy. Oh no, and I do think Lily Gladstone is going to have a long and rich career. I just think if you're saying like. What's the best performance of the year? The best performance of the year is Tiana Taylor in 1001. And I'm, I'm a little bummed that, that she's... It, I mean, it is nice that I don't have to, like, deal with the fucking, like, oh, my God, I want them both to win the Oscar. But it's also a little bummer that, like, fucking Focus just dumped 1001. And at the there's no way it's happening. There's no the way it's time. happening. Yeah, That movie should win several Oscars. Uh, best score of the year, too. Sometimes I think maybe the weirdest movie of the year. Who knows? The weirdest part about that release too is like that is a movie that is a movie as good as it is becomes reliant on award season to then go on to continue to make money. A billion percent. Yeah. That's a tried and true strategy. Do you know how fucking rare it is that a good movie wins the grand jury prize at Sundance, let alone a great movie? You fucking ass. I'm mad at focus features. Um, Colin Farrell is in the 2013 film Epic. Yeah. I think he's good. I think he's good too. It's whatever. I actually, I, I was surprised as to how well his voice, initially when I had read the description of the film, I thought that he was going to voice more of something akin to the Hutcherson character. And I was like, oh, uh, let's see how this goes, was my thought sure. process. But the way his voice fits this kind of like seasoned samurai really works it's it's sure. surprising in, in a way um but yeah it comes across as very i guess his like his character's adherence and faith in what he stands for is not something that you get from colin farrell a lot i don't think we've had that at all sure. yeah it's a very like yeah. you know it's the square jaw thing yeah. right that he's normally good at doing he can pull it off here i mean part of it is just like you but he's I not overdoing. I guess what he's I'm not trying to overdoing. Say is he's anything. not overdoing it. Yeah, he's not. He's he, he, it's a bit of a phone in performance, but it's good. But I do think part of it is like we do take for granted, like just how pleasurable it is to listen to that voice. Yeah, it's just a beautiful his, voice. His native Irish accent, which he hasn't done often, because even yeah. Andine, he's he's doing an accent. Yeah, I just think. Yeah. You know, he's got that like honey soaked deep voice and it's just like, oh, you're like, oh man, it is kind of just pleasurable. One of the movie's greatest pleasures is just kind of listening to him be like saying fucking like Obi-Wan shit, you know, like, yeah, is it great? No, but 
I enjoyed that performance. No, but it does make you, it does make us obsessively interested in Colin Farrell's filmography, you know? And we seem to care a lot more about him than other people do. Although that's not to say that we seem to like think he's a better actor than other people do. I think by today's standard, most people think he's, he's a very gifted and and good actor. Um, But it does make you wonder why like there just aren't more films that just let him speak with his regular accent. Also interesting that this is the only animated movie he's ever done. Um, Yeah. Maybe doesn't, not not a big fan of it but i don't know uh, if he would want to he he seems like a guy who's very very i don't know just committed to the 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 idea of it's just a good it's just an easy paycheck is the thing and so i'm just like it's just always interesting that we talked about this like these 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 weird one-off things that like you almost expect him to do more of like hosting snl or popping up on TV shows or doing animated movies. Well, like, I said this during the um the horrible bot or no during the, actually I think it was the total recall episode. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know horrible bosses through total recall and then even to some extent seven psychopaths falls in this um and epic definitely falls in this is like I believe we are in a period where he has enough distance behind he has enough distance in between his recovery and rehab and where he is and he took some time away from blockbuster, big budget productions. I think his agent is really pushing projects on him to be like, awesome. we have to get you back up to the status that you were when a Michael Mann would cast yes. you as Sonny That Packard. I mean, yeah. that does feel implicitly like what's happening here. If yeah. you take the big picture frame of none of these movies do well. And right. the big picture frame of like when you're reading the interviews of him, which I couldn't even find one for Epic. But when you're reading the interviews of him in these other films like A Fright Night or Total Recall, he he do- doesn't even he seems in the interview to be like, yeah, you might question why I would be in this movie because this movie sounds like a bad idea. Yeah. And then he gives a re- he gives like, you know, objectively, objectively lucid reasons why said movie might work. But like he seems to be very aware of the fact that he's stuck within the machine of Hollywood filmmaking. But you've also in the early days of the show, you like to float a theory that you think that he just enjoys the process of working more so than he does enjoys the process of being in good movies. That's oh, a fair way yeah. to put it. But I, I floated yeah. that more in the sense that like when the director we we yeah. talk about this pretty often, when he's working with a maybe not as skilled of a director or a director that is objectively hands-off with the actors he seems to overwork sometimes and my theory about him is like he 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 enjoys the profession yeah. of being an actor and he doesn't want to just show up he he's a person that does not want to phone it in that is like Even the last thing he wants to when, do. when he yeah. is phoning it in right and he has been. And my take is always that the phoning in is more due to a lack of ability than a lack of effort, right? That That's always my read on the phoning in performances. I just think he has, like, no capacity to make them work. But even in something I think like they are, I think they are in hand-in-hand hand because sure. if we're talking about lack of ability, I think he is somebody who can't 
he doesn't have that Hopkins energy where you yes. could just cast Anthony Hopkins the yes. day before and Anthony Hopkins can show up and give a transformative performance exactly. that fits the tone yeah. of the thing. Like he needs to be instrumentally included yes. in the entire process of making the project to give a, a good performance. So but. when he does phone it in, I think it's more like he just doesn't have the time or the energy to invest sure. that heavily into it. Yeah. But even if something like Total Recall. Yeah. Where he's fucking wooden as hell. You don't get that sense of like resentment that he's in total recall that you yeah. do get from other actors, right? You know what I'm saying? Like you you know when Pacino is like unhappy that he's in a movie, right? You get what yeah. I'm saying? You know when yeah. De Niro's unhappy that he's in a movie. You know when fucking who's who's another good analogy. Um I think in those I think in law, the last yeah, you can law. tell when like Jude Law feels like he's in a piece of shit. The thing that I think about all the time is uh in whatever the fuck it's called, Return of Skywalker, Oscar Isaac seems yes, like he's Isaac. Going to you hang can himself. tell when yeah. these people are like because I don't think I've ever seen Colin Farrell like scan as the actual human being is unhappy to be in this movie, even if he's really bad and really wanted and really like giving you nothing. He never seems mad that he has to be on set. I think as willing as he is to say in interviews that when he was younger, he was hyper confident and kind of like always yeah. assumed that he would be famous or that he deserved to be famous. I do think there is a humility to Colin Farrell where especially at this point in his career where he's saying he, he's probably saying to himself, like my career has not cashed in, in the way that would make it possible for me to feel like I'm above this kind of work. Exactly. He, he just always seems so aware. Yeah. Even when he was having the personal life issues early on, he, he still at, seemed a, more aware than other young actors did of like what was happening to him, pro which is pro probably why he was able to get his life on track in such a, a meaningful and impressive well life. we've talked about this but it, it always is like just blows my mind that he did not hit rock rock bottom with the drug addiction thing he does not have that very traditional sobriety story yeah he instead kind of just realized that it was a bad path and decided to get sober uh do you have anything else you want to say about epic before i go into my game <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I have anything to say. Well, it's let, just, let, it's formulaic. It's yeah. derivative. It's the, the art style isn't even interesting. <laughs> it, it doesn't explain itself, which could be a good thing because you don't have to sit through like yeah. just hours of exposition to understand what's happening, but it doesn't explain itself in a way where you like, you feel connected to this fictional world that it's presenting to you. Um, there's no investment in the in the key relationship of the film, which yeah. is supposed to be that between MK and her father. Not at all. Uh, it's to me, it's just a total failure of and it's, an animated it's just, feature. Yeah, it's yeah. just a nothing of a movie. Um, I do want to say this. I threw out my theory earlier that I think Fox thought that they could maybe get this movie to play like a blockbuster. Um, if well, that you're was... right. Like it's clearly it's clearly yeah. set up to be a yes. franchise launcher yeah. but if that was their intention uh they fucked up because um they opened this movie connor against fast and furious 6 and hangover 3 a week after star trek into darkness came out so this movie fucking opens at number four and fucking just falls off a cliff and this movie cost 100 million it makes 
doop doop do It makes 250 worldwide, which is a bot. Biggity biggity bot. Yeah. Uh, oh, and is... what I was saying with the musical thing yeah. is like, I don't think Ferngoli is a good movie, but There's Ferngoli that. has catchy songs in it. Um, I would like to play a game. Okay. This movie has a lot of keywords on box office website, thenumbers.com. Oh, boy. But one of the things this movie is about is that her father, whose name is like Bongo, by the way. Uh, I don't know if we've talked. It's like Blippo or Bongo or Barfo or whatever. Is it really? Her father is Jason a Jason Sudeikis plays Ratcliffe Bomba. Bomba, that's what it is. Um, <laughs> professor Rat. Where is he a professor? Where is this man teaching? He's not teaching. He's pointedly isn't teaching. He might be a doctor. He's not a professor. Um, but what is his job, Connor? A scientist? He's a field scientist. Okay. Connor, by domestic box office, can you tell me the top five highest grossing movies that are about field scientists? Well, I mean, depending on what gets keyworded. I know. Uh, is Jurassic Park in there? Jurassic Park is not on them. They're not field scientists in Jurassic Park. I guess They're in the opening scene they are. Archaeologists, but... I guess. Yeah, I guess in the yeah. opening scene they are, but no. I think I've seen four of the five movies on this list, and I do think that those four all deal with field science more than Jurassic Park does. Really? Yes. Okay. <laughs> in Why that it's is, not um, just like you see like them doing it in one scene in the beginning before the plot starts why is the world is not enough coming to mind now the world is not enough is not on this list which yeah. is a fallacy um but very famous field scientist in that movie yeah yes yeah. but and, Doctor, and, and she's Doctor doing a shit Christmas ton Jones. of field science in that movie yeah. and that movie i'm not even looking at it here that movie definitely made enough money in the united states to clear this because i know what number five is on this list and there's no way that outgrows the world is not enough is oppenheimer on the list oppenheimer's not on the list they don't do field science in oppenheimer they're out in New Mexico. That's not what field science know, is. Field know, science means you're going to a location and natively studying something there. I know, I know. Um, so number four is a movie we've talked to. Oh, let me let me start at number five. Number one. Okay. Number one is a movie from 2011. 2011. Yep. It's a big hit, but probably one of the lower grossing hits in its franchise. Uh, I would say the field science stuff is like universally agreed to be maybe the best stuff in this movie. It's not this movie, but is The Martian on the list? Martian is not on the list, but it should be. Damn, dude. <laughs> Again, it should I be. Can't, <laughs> I can't land any of these right now. Uh, 2011 hit. Yeah, yeah decent yeah. sized hit that will be eclipsed by other hits in the same franchise. It's in a franchise. Yes. Um, I'm not... The field scientist. I'm not great with years. Okay, the field scientist in question is the second lead and the primary love interest of the protagonist. Of the protagonist, and they appear in other films in the franchise. Yes, somewhat contentiously. (laughs) It's a whole thing. There was a lot of bad blood. Maybe they dramatically quit. Maybe stock footage of them was used. Maybe it was like a huge shock that they paid this person a shit ton of money to come back. Gotcha. It's Thor. It's Thor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Number two is from 1999. It's from a studio we've talked about a lot today. Um, I think the field scientists in this are the bad guys. (laughs) Maybe. Or maybe they're like the protagonist's parents. It's an animated movie. 
you want a musical, Connor? This one's a big musical. For some reason, people like these songs, even though they are exclusively unlistenable garbage by one of the great hacks of, of Western pop music. Musical from 99. Music, yeah. Animated musical from 99. Animated musical from 99 um, based on one of the first franchises? One of the first franchises? It's based on one of the first franchises. It's based on one of the first franchises. Yes. If this had sequels, they were direct-to-video and I never heard of them. Huh. I mean, is it DreamWorks? It's not DreamWorks. It's not is it it's not Blue Sky because that's not Blue Sky. No, too 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 early. So is it Disney? It's Disney. It's not it can't be Atlantis because that's not Atlantis. It's not that's probably a better field scientist movie, but that was a bomb. This was a huge hit. Stars Glenn Close, Mini Driver, Tony Goldwyn, Oppenheimer's own Tony Goldwyn, Lance Henriksen. Wayne Knight, Rosie O'Donnell. Oh, it's, O'Donnell. Uh, it's Tarzan. Tarzan. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, is number Glenn three, Close the mom in Tarzan? Like the mom? Probably the mom gorilla, gorilla yeah. I think. Uh, number three is a movie I have not seen. It is an animated movie. Whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. Whoa, whoa, we can't skip past that. You're questioning why people like the Tarzan number soundtrack? Number three. <laughs> You're <laughs> number questioning three. why people like the Phil Collins Tarzan soundtrack? It's dog shit. Wow. You know, I, I, I can't, I might be making this up. I might be like falsifying this memory, but I'm pretty sure my mom bought tickets to the tour that Phil Collins went on to tour wow. the Tarzan soundtrack. And I but went she to had a see bad it, time because all those songs are bad. Cause there's my no good... mom loves that soundtrack and that soundtrack uh, goes hard certifiable here. Here's the problem with you saying that is that there's no good Phil Collins song. There's never been a good Phil Collins song. Wow. He sucks. Wow. He's the worst. What's a good Phil Collins song? You you and Michael Mann have opposite music yeah, taste. I have yeah. good taste in music. Michael <laughs> Mann famously has bad taste in music, okay? Don't fucking... <laughs> don't fucking confuse things here. <laughs> okay. We can... We can uh, number three is an animated movie from 2014 that I have not seen. Um, it's a sequel to an animated movie from 2011 that I haven't seen. Pretty sure these movies are about fucking. They're for kids and they're about fucking. Is We're it gonna... uh, Rio 2? It's Rio 2. A movie we will do on this podcast. I don't know day. what the fuck the... the I think the they're about fucking. I've never... No, 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 no. I've seen... I've never seen the movies. I have no idea what the field science would be. Yeah, that's movies. what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, number four is a movie we've talked about a lot on this episode today. Actually, let me take that. Number four is a movie we actually haven't talked a lot about today. We probably should have talked about it more. Is it an animated movie? It is an animated movie. It's from 2013. It is an animated movie from 2013. Directed by Chris Wedges. Starts Colin Farrell, Josh Hutcherson, Amanda oh. Seyfried, Beyonce. Wait, this is on the list? For... This is number four. What the hell? At 107 million domestic. That's... That's not right. This list is wrong. Um, <laughs> number five. I, I'm doing this because of number five. Yeah, yeah, okay. Number five is a certified banger. Number five is a movie that fucking goes hard. Number five is a movie from 1990. But it made less than $107 million. Made $50 million in the United States, which is respectable. Uh, The director of this movie... It is one of his 
It is his directorial debut. Uh, he is one of the most powerful producers in the history of Hollywood. His wife more so, but this guy's a pretty big deal. Uh, he produced a movie that you think should be on this list, I believe. It's a five-time Best Picture nominee. That's who we're talking about here. But he directed a fucking banger of a horror movie in 1990. He's a five-time, as a producer, he's a five-time. As a producer, he's a five-time Oscar nominee. This movie's fucking nasty as shit. And it's a horror movie from 1990. Stars, uh, let's see, who we got? Who's what the cast of this field movie? Field Science horror movies from 1990. Like, is Field Science a big aspect of this movie? Yes. Yeah. Uh, let me just rattle off this guy's, uh, this guy's nominated for producing Raiders of the Lost Ark, Color Purple, Sixth Sense, Seabiscuit, Benjamin Button. Never won Best Picture. He does have the Thalberg. Uh, he does have an honorary Oscar. Okay. This movie stars Jeff Daniels, Harley Kozak, John Goodman, Julian Sands, a bunch of other character actors. It's from 1990. It's the first Hollywood Pictures film, the brief Disney uh, subset. Uh, Starring Jeff Daniels? It's fucking upsetting. <laughs> It's, it's famously upsetting. Uh, it's arachnophobia. Oh. You ever fucking seen arachnophobia? <laughs> yeah, Frank Marshall's yeah. directorial debut. Yeah, wow. Have you seen that movie? I have, yeah. That movie's nasty, right? Yeah, wait. That Disney movie's was gross. involved in making that movie? Who? You just said Disney was involved in making Yeah, Hollywood that movie? Pictures. They're, they're, brief, they're brief imprint. I, whoa. Yeah, well, Disney, like... <laughs> movies for adults they make movies for adults yeah i know but you're not wrong yeah. in saying that that movie is upsetting <laughs> yeah but <laughs> frank marshall's like a guy that they want to be in business with right no no i know i know i'm not i'm not arguing it's, yeah. it's a surprise when you hear that hollywood is basically like the progenitor to touchstone and then kind of hung around a while yeah. even though touchstone also hung around for a while um yeah great I, I, love, I don't know if I've seen any other Frank Marshall. I don't think I have as a director, obviously as a producer. Yeah. yeah. Obviously Frank, as a producer, I've seen others. He's others, Frank Marshall. He's but, uh, the fucking. Have you truly, seen any movie ever? Cause he produced that. Truly <laughs> probably the only person who is more of like a power producer in Hollywood these days are Spielberg and Kathleen Kennedy. He's Frank Marshall's two primary collaborators, right? Like, yeah, probably. Those are probably the only people who have like bigger fucking lists of credits than he does. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Do we have anything else to say about Epic? I didn't have a game because this movie's about nothing. Yeah. So I couldn't you're, relate you're this movie to any list to because it's like, what am I gonna do? The be the best animated movies. No. That's the only thing that can be drawn from this. No. Fuck no. Um. You don't have to give me a game. My brain hurts. No, no, no. no. I'm just, I'm just trying to, because, like, it does make me feel bad when we do these episodes and barely talk about the thing. But it's really cost a hundred million dollars. Everyone's sleeping fine. It's just like it's a real headache to like try to understand. Because I mean, if you're looking at Wedge's other stuff, um, and even Joyce's other stuff, it's like robots isn't necessarily successful, but there's at least. You can like understand the intent of robots. I, I just based off of the the 
just based off of the aesthetic style alone. You can like understand that something is being done here. That there's never like, seen robots. I so know. I'll trust you with this. You can tell like just based off of the first five minutes of the film that there's like some intentionality there. And here it's like that thing I read at the beginning that doesn't mean anything. In the forest, there's a hidden world. There's yeah. a hidden battle between good and decay or whatever. And um, at least Ferngully has environmentalist aspects. Like this doesn't have any, this doesn't share any of that. Like I would at least laud it for, for saying something if it had anything to do on that front. But at the end of the day, like it really just doesn't mean anything. And there's no compelling emotional payoff. The Colin Farrell character is seems to be have had been in love at some point with the Beyonce character and that's never explored upon yeah. in any way whatsoever. Like there's ground there for a very tragic backstory about how they were in love and then she got named the successor to the former queen and then they could never be together and that's not there. There's like dune shit. Like you could basically have the relationship between Atreides and what's her face and Dune play between them right there. I'm just spitballing stuff off the top of my head that is more interesting than this actual movie what's more boring this movie or the 2021 Denis Villeneuve film dune <laughs> i i you're you just, know it's another you're just it's another movie that i it's another movie that i think is good that i also had you know if we're gonna relate it to kills of the flower moon 2021 dune is another movie that i do think is good i think has more issues than kills of the flower moon but on the whole, I think it's a good movie with problems is much more interesting than Epic from 2013. I can't believe we made it all the way up to 2013. That's it's another like, thing we didn't talk about. I do not life, remember this movie coming out. I don't remember this movie coming out. I have out. absolutely I no memory of this movie. When, when I was putting together the spreadsheet and looking at this, I was like, is this some like Quebecois thing that he did the English language dub for that we can like justify? Now? Oh, Blue Sky, okay. Beyonce, okay. Um, I I could go even further in. So uh, Joyce was participated in the making. I think it's also based off of a book of his, of a film called Rise of the Guardians, <laughs> which came out. I, I believe the year before. And when we were initially putting this filmography together, I had assumed, like, my brain jumped to thinking, oh, that's the movie we're talking about with, like, Jack Frost and the Easter yeah, Rabbit. Two. And I think Santa Claus is in it. And, you know, it's funny enough, like, Chris Pine is the lead of that film. Someone that we recently, like, related to being the American counterpart. God, William Joyce does have a, have a hand in that. Uh, yeah. To clarify, listeners, um, Rise of the Guardians is not the Zack Snyder. Um, no, no. <laughs> uh, owl movie that no one saw. Rise of the Guardians. Yeah, what's that one the, called? That one that's has a funny Legend name. of the Guardians. Yeah. Rise of the Guardians is the Avengers of Holiday Mascots movie that no one saw. You forgot. It's 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 Legend of the Guardians. Of the Guardians, the Owls of Gahul. I did the not Owls of Gahul. Gahul. I didn't forget. How dare you yeah. accuse me of forgetting, Connor? <laughs> um, I've never seen that either. This whole this whole episode is also just me naming movies I've never seen before. Rise I swear, viewers, I've seen movies. I have seen movies. Um, 
Rise of the Guardian stars Chris Pine as Jack Frost, Alec Baldwin as Santa Claus, Jude Law as the Boogeyman, Isla Fisher as the Tooth Fairy, Hugh Jackman as the Easter Bunny, right? Like, that's what we're talking about here. And it's I about think them, like, the funny thing when you're fighting, relating... like, nightmares as a concept. They're fighting the Boogeyman. The Boogeyman's the bad <laughs> Yeah, <thing. laughs> when you're relating... When you're relating uh, Rise of the Guardians, which also wasn't, it made $300 million on a $150 million budget. Um, so it's really um, not like a financial success, a success either. Um, I didn't read reviews for it, but in the reviews for Epic, some of the reviewers, I think the Vulture review is like apologetic. Like we were too hard on Rise of the Guardians. <laughs> and then they gave us Epic as a follow-up to it. It's just funny. I am very impressed that Colin Farrell was able to get to work his way out of this rut that he had been in, or honestly, to work his way out of what his career as a whole had been. He up just needs a good script. Like you're just like yeah. waiting for like the good movie to find him, and it's close, baby. Oh, it's so close. It's so oh, close. But <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, in next week's movie, like not to get ahead of ourselves, next week's movie is still a piece of mass media hollywood filmmaking but there is something there no, and there is I've something never seen but i'm very excited to see there is something important for him to do within yeah. the emotionality not not just the structure but like the emotional payoff of that film is reliant on colin farrell being likable being a person that exists within the real world and that's what we love him for today yeah. but i'm just I guess what I'm saying is like, I'm very impressed that he was able to get his career to where it is now, where we, when you think of Colin Farrell, we associate him with, with Lanthimos and Sofia Coppola and these other more art house independent filmmakers. Coganada. Coganada and being. Matt and, Reeves. And, and becoming and getting to you know, the, the real serious be- <laughs> art house directors in America and get, Ron getting Howard, to this- <laughs> Guy Ritchie. Getting to the point where he becomes chameleonic in, in as Burton. an actor. Um, because it's disheartening to think about Hollywood in the sense that we have been thinking of for the past few weeks on this podcast, you know? Yeah. <laughs> as you know. As two people who are very like ingrained within this space, it yes. does break. It does hammer you down into submission sometimes to think about. Speaking about being hammered down into submission, I think that's our show. Uh, <laughs> join us next week for uh, Saving Mr. Banks. That yeah. was the analogy I was making. Um, uh, we should have a special guest for that one. Uh, that's the episode I've been most excited to record this entire I'm excited time. to rewatch it too because yeah. I had not seen it since it came out and I remember going into it with absolutely my expectations were negative like I was going in I was dragged to see the movie over I believe winter break let me check when it came out um, United States December 13th yeah so that makes sense yeah. I was dragged to it like over the holiday season by my sister's who wanted to watch it and remember being like very taken aback by the performance that Colin gives in this movie. Yeah. And um, not to jump the gun, but like, I do think this movie plays an important part in yeah. Colin's redemption within my own, my own you, perception. You yeah. have told me that. And our guest has told me that. So I've been, and has been, you, you both been saying that for like 
almost the whole run of this show. Um, so I'm very excited for that one. Uh, until then, please remember to rate if you subscribe. Uh, Connor, you want to plug the Instagram? But then it could, it could be like another Ondine, which yeah, I had seen before. I know, and was like, I know. this movie's I good. Know, and then yeah. I rewatch it and it's like, oh no. Um, our okay. Instagram is at above the title pod. Uh, yeah. Um, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, shout out to the Singapore person. I haven't actually looked at the metrics because I haven't put it, we haven't put an episode out in what, what episode do you think, like what time of year do you think this is? I don't even want to think about it, man. Cause um, it feels well, like it. Fe- cool. Let me tell you. Yeah. I know some people who a few weeks ago had applied to and had gotten jobs within production offices in the New York film and television space. And since they had been hired, they were essentially told you might as well go out and look for other jobs because it doesn't seem like this is being resolved anytime soon. I think everyone thought it was going to be quick after the WJ strike ended. And now I don't think it's happening before the new year. (laughs) Um, but yeah, we'll be back whenever we're back. Uh, talking about saving Mr. Banks, talking about good old Walter Disney. Uh, but until then, as always, Walter uh, fuck- Disney, a man I do not associate with uh, animated name? films. In yeah, famously, yeah. <laughs> uh, Walter Elias Disney uh, from uh, the greatest city in the country, famously. Uh, born in Chicago didn't grow up in Chicago but born in Chicago Uh, but we'll be back with that one next week Uh, until then uh, fuck Ken Loach stop it I'll pack the lights